Good to have you three and out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hope you had a great weekend. Glad we are able to be here with you. Make us Thanks for making us a part of your day. College football never ceases to amaze, BJ and Ben. It's uh, something new every single week, and uh, we continue to get it shaped week in and week out. Oregon just gets absolutely blasted uh, there by Utah. That'll certainly shake up the college football playoff rankings. We know Ohio State and Michigan are going to play this week. Uh, that'll shake some things up. Alabama and Auburn, could that shake some things up? We'll have to wait and see. But a lot to get to here on the show. Coming up in the final hour, we'll chat with Josh Pate, 247 Sports. Also, Chris Gordy, locked on to SEC Podcast and Sports Talk 790 in Houston. We're talking SEC football uh, with him. Also, David Waters, Gators Breakdown, will join us here in about uh, 30 minutes on the show. And Brooks Austin. His uh, weekly Monday hit from uh, Dogs Daily on SI. He will join us. So we're talking to Georgia football. But certainly uh, it is not just your typical Monday, BJ and Ben. Dan Mullen fired there at Florida. You're hearing rumblings or rumors potentially at Auburn uh, that they might have a coaching change, not because of a firing, but because the a lot of jobs are open on the West Coast uh, potentially. So, Wow. Where to start on a Monday? Let's start there with Dan Mullen out at Florida. Ben, as someone who played for the uh, the Gators program, you lose in overtime. They make the decision on Sunday uh, to move on from Dan Mullen. He's going to get $6 million within the next 30 days and then a million dollars a year for the next six years from Florida. Your thoughts on Dan Mullen moving on? BJ, something me and you talked about before the show, right? I asked you, I asked you something, and you said something that uh, that shocked me. But I, I said, why, why did Texas A&M hire Jimbo Fish? You said to make them nationally relevant. And when I think about it, I'm like, yeah. The more I think about it, I'm like, yeah. Did did Dan Mullen make Florida nationally relevant? Yes, but that's not what they hired him for. They hired him to try to get back to winning consistently and to potentially win the East and get and start competing for national championships. Now. Dan Mullen went to back-to-back New Year's Six Bowls. That's, that's to be celebrated. But I always remember who Dan Mullen replaced. Jim McElwain, I mean, I, don't, listen, I, cannot, I cannot deny or validate the things that Jim McElwain was saying, but I told you this, Kevin and BJ. When you start having on Dark Vader outfits, you start starting fights right before halftime, you're not the most personable person in the press conferences, and you're losing, something has to give. Perception and reputation might be bigger at these big programs than winning because it's what the national narrative is about you as well as what you're actually doing. And Florida's losing on both ends. You look, you go back to the Missouri game, you got over a minute left, you can go down and potentially kick the game with a field goal, and you play for overtime, and you lose. You, you score 40, 42 points against LSU, but you give up 49. You can't get a two-point conversion against Alabama, and you lose. You just lay an egg right before the half against Georgia, and I don't know who that Florida team was against South Carolina. You add that to the last three games of 2020. You talk about the bowl game. You talk about you talk about LSU. You talk about the uh, the SEC championship game, and then you start saying, okay, what 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 coach are we dealing with? I think you're dealing with both. I think you're dealing with the guy that's good enough to take you to New Year's Six Bowls, but you're also dealing with a guy that can't win games he should win, and when it comes to crunch time, he's not built for it. So I understand Dan Mullen is a really, really good coach. I am not here to just – I'm not one of the people he's – he's not the worst. But you got to take the bitter with the sweet. I have – I'm not piling on, but I have spoken to people that have worked with him and say he is hard to deal with. Scott Strickland had to make a decision. 
And right now, Scott Strickland's biggest decision thus far is hiring Dan Mullen. We'll see who he's going to get. But for my, for, for my money, it's the University of Florida can't be 2-9 and nine in, their, in their last 11, 11 games or what may have you. And against the, That's against the Power 5. I'm sorry, against, the power, against P5. And since Dan Mullen's been there, he's won the East one time. He's been to one SEC championship game. He's played Alabama very well. But in between those times, hasn't been much to talk about you know, against Georgia because he went, one, what, 1-3 one against Georgia. You you haven't I mean you went oh I th- I think he's going I think he's going on four against uh, LSU if I'm not mistaken so it's it's so many things to throw around but I think at the end of the day when the perception battle is being lost when you ain't putting when you ain't when when Florida and Florida State are both five or six the brawl for it all on Saturday <laughs> I mean it, it, it's it, it's 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 for me for me uh, BJ the national narrative has more to do with. With, with with public perception around town, and, I, and right now Dan Mullen was losing both. Yeah, and I think the record you mentioned is what's really startling, right? Because you think about Florida, and even if the Gators aren't competing for national championships like they were, uh, you know, during the Urban Meyer era, you still expect Florida to be one of the better teams in the SEC year in and year out. I mean, to me, and Ben, maybe this isn't fair, but when I think about a quote rebuilding year at Florida, I think eight and four. I mean, maybe seven and five. And you start talking about two and nine in your last 11 Power Five games. Now, granted, you played Alabama a couple of times in there. You played, you know, LSU a couple of times. But to to have struggles that are that significant, I'm amazed at how quickly this soured, right? Because go back to last year. Last year, late in the season, Florida was at least in the mix for the college football playoff. They then played Alabama to a six-point game. That was a one-score game where Alabama had to recover an onside kick. And then you think about what happened this year. And, and Ben, you mentioned, you know, the Missouri finish was kind of crazy. You had sort of like a broken play on a two-point conversion, and the quarterback threw it up, and there were no defenders there. To me, that wasn't the low point. I think I think even, even getting past the Samford game, which was really bad in the first half, I think what happened at South Carolina was really eye-opening where you didn't see Florida play competitively. You didn't see the Gators respond to adversity. There didn't seem to be a sense of urgency. And I think from the outside looking in, I know there there have been frustrations for some time, but I think from the outside looking in, you're looking at that game going, this South Carolina team's done a good job this year, but they're not on the same level as Florida talent-wise, and Florida's getting dismantled in every aspect of the game. So surprising how fast this happened. Not that it happened because you compile it all together, Kevin, and you kind of see the trajectory going downwards. And I'm not an expert on recruiting, but recruiting has not been going well compared to what you would normally expect at Florida. Uh, I'm not surprised a change was made, Kevin. But if you would have told me this time last year that this was going to happen, I'd have been like, what are you talking about? Florida's a top 10 team. They're in the SEC championship game. So it's amazing how 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 it all kind of came together. Yeah, it really uh, spiraled down quickly, and I I saw a thing. I think Florida or Dan Mullen, not Florida, but Dan Mullen is like the fifth, maybe the fifth coach to get fired a year after going to the SEC championship game. He joins the likes of Philip Fulmer, uh, who took Tennessee to the SEC championship game and then was fired the year after that. So, not unprecedented. But again, you're talking about a pretty precipitous slide here, where last year. You're saying, man, this Florida team is loaded. They played Alabama to within a uh, what a touchdown in the SEC championship game, or and then you come back and say, man, this team might be headed somewhere. And now they're fighting for bowl eligibility going into the last week 
of the regular season. That is a pretty far uh, slide. I know uh, been uh, kind of hearing what uh, people say, you know, Dan Mullen's strong suit isn't necessarily recruiting. It is, you know, player development. Hey, I can get the guys in and I can coach them up. That's that's his kind of – that's what he's known for, not necessarily recruiting. But I think if you're Dan Mullen, if, if you know that going in, mm-hmm. you better surround yourself with guys who are recruiting beasts and recruiting animals and guys who love to get out there and, and go get guys and let Dan – I mean, again, we've seen guys be able to do this where you're the closer, right? Hey, I don't like the, I'm Dan Mullen. I don't like the, I don't like the recruit. Hey, who are the guys that we're after? Bring me in and let me just seal the deal. I don't have to go out there. We like he's already on the fence. Let me just go in and finish the deal and sell them on on Florida. Keep it as simple as that. But again, uh, when you are getting out recruited in the SEC, it shows. And uh, and again, I think you look at uh, what, just take a look at what's happened. Georgia's out recruited everybody in the East, and they are running laps and circles around them. I think the closest – who is uh, second East got, what, three, four losses uh, yeah. behind Georgia? So, I mean, everybody in the East is, is struggling. Uh, and if you're Florida, you're saying, look, preseason it was clear-cut at worst. At worst, number two behind Georgia. And now may not make a bowl game. That's uh, that's a far cry. But, uh, again, Dan Mullen out. Don't know how soon he'll get back into coaching. But, uh, Ben, we'll get into this uh, a little bit later in the show as well. But I'm not going to ask you to throw a name out there, but – who is the right guy? Not, not necessarily. I mean, you can give me a name if you like, but who is the right guy to step in at Florida? Because people say, well, it's talent-rich state. Mm-hmm. Should be able to get, you should be able to – anybody who's halfway motivated and competent should be able to come in and do a, an okay job. But who's the right guy to fit that culture, that university, to try to turn it around? Well, it just – man, that's a hard question to answer because it depends on what you want. Do you want a Dan Mullen type who's going to make – Florida nationally relevant, or do you want an Urban Meyer or Steve Spurrier? Like, they, you got to think about, you got to think about the coaches since 2000, right? Florida, this, Florida's getting ready to have coach number seven, I think. So you went from Spurrier to Zook to Meyer to Muschamp to McIlwain to Mullen. So you got to ask yourself, hmm, you've had some, you had two really, really good Hall of Famers in there, but you, but you, you had some duds in between. And I think that's the thing, BJ, is that's the hardest thing in sports. Who is the right guy, right? Florida State, who's the right guy? Miami, who's the right guy? Florida, who's the right guy? I don't think that Dan Muller was the wrong guy. I just think that sometimes you have to be in that seat to realize, dude, it's, yeah, man, it's easy when you got one side of the ball, but you also had Tim Tebow. You also had Percy Harvin. You also had the Pouncer Twins. Now, you had a lot of guys to help that offense go. What happens when you don't have those guys? So, I mean, I'm going I'm to I'm give you my picks later on, but I think the right guy, Kevin, comes back to, if you talking about national championships, I don't know if he's out there. Because, I mean, I've only seen Florida win three, and two of them, BJ, came within a three-year span. So, I, I, I don't know who's the right. For national championships, he might not exist, or he might currently have a job. But as far as, like, Winning that perception battle and keeping Florida right there with George. Oh, I, oh, I, now nah, I think that guy's out there because you got to win the perception battle and you got to be able to compete in in uh, in Jacksonville year in and year out. Because right now, I mean, I don't even go to the Florida Georgia game no more or Georgia Florida to you Georgia fans. Not because I think Florida's gonna lose, because I know they are. I don't want to be there for that. I don't want to try to be professional up there in that box 
and I got to deal with the Georgia beat writers. That's another that's another conversation for another day. But BJ, as far as like the guy who's out there, I think there's guys that's out there. But to be on the Saban and, and Smart and Ohio State, those type level, uh, I, th- th- now that makes it even harder, you know. So we'll we'll see. But I don't know if that guy is out there right now. Yeah, but I've heard a lot of, oh, man, it's a crowded coaching market. How's Florida? Go? It's the University of Florida. This is one of the elite jobs, with all due respect to other jobs. This is probably, at worst, a top three or four job in all of college football. And you can make a strong argument it's the best job in all of college football. So I think if you're Florida, yes, you have championship expectations. You have expectations to be a consistent contender and I think those are realistic expectations everybody says that but there are probably only I don't know a dozen or so schools that probably have that reality Florida does so I expect Florida you know you'll see rumors around big names you'll see rumors around big salaries and I think all that is viable at this point Kevin yeah and again there's a bunch of names being thrown out there we'll uh, get to some of those that we've at least seen mentioned and uh, how realistic some of those might be. We'll chat with David Waters, Gators Breakdown, coming up in about uh, 20 minutes here on the show. But uh, when we return, well, we were scheduled to chat uh, with Brooks Austin. I've got a note. We're going to move Brooks a little bit later back in the show. So he'll join us in hour number two. We'll have a little fun here on a uh, Mondays. We get ready for Thanksgiving week, but it's also rivalry week around college football. We'll hit that, hit that next have a little fun with Rivalry Week here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Radio Network will hear from David Waters, Gators Breakdown, coming up in just a little bit. We'll talk about the latest there around Florida, Dan Mullins firing, and who might be a candidate there. All kinds of names floating around there in Gainesville. We'll talk to him about that in just a little bit. Brooks Austin will join us in our number two, and it is Rivalry Week in college football. Uh, BJ, you got... All your in-state rivalry games going on, and we thought we'd have a little fun with rivalry rivalry week. That's a that's a mouthful to say, and see how much Ben and I pay attention. We're going to do here. Christian and I were talking about this uh, earlier and uh, doing some research. We have this is not named that team. This is named those teams. I'm going to give you a rivalry name, a name of a rivalry, Trophy. So this is a trophy that you get for winning the rivalry. These are very famous throughout college football. All of these are Division I trophies, and theoretically, you have the chance to get two points if you get both correct. So we're going to do it the same way. I will name the trophy. You guys will jump in and say it. Kevin, that means be aggressive and get after it here, okay? And I have 15 rivalry trophies. We will see how many of those <laughs> y'all can get one or potentially two correct answers with. So are you guys ready? I mean, <laughs> as ready as we're going to be. 15? That so, was, so if I, uh, that so if was I not 15, exactly right? I get 15 points? No, there's, there's, right. there's a total of 30 possible points. Okay. Total of 30 possible points. All right. At first, number one, Golden Egg. Oh, uh, oh, 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 uh, uh, shoot. Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Yes, that was not a very impressive effort for one that I thought would be super easy. Listen, for those of you who don't know, Kevin doesn't like the, like, Kevin, I know the answer. I just, I can't do it. No, I was sitting there, like, we went over these, and BJ, like, 
And it, and it's like no cheating, but no, there's no. a 15. So no, I'm Ke- looking. I'm like, Kevin that goes, was not on the list. Kevin goes, oh yeah. <laughs> BJ goes. Yeah. Wait, so are you saying maybe you did a little pre-preparation? No, I did no research. I'm just saying. I'm trying to think about him, and it's like that's not one that was uh, there. So, I was. Maybe that was my first reaction. Use, was that's not one we talked about? But okay. Maybe you shouldn't use the show notes for kind of pre-prep. All right, moving forward, I, the Iron Skillet. You win the Iron Skillet. The Iron Skillet. I. Uh, that sounds like an out west, like frontiersman type thing. We're cooking in an Iron Skillet. I'm going to say. Before Ben can jump in, I guess what? UTEP UTSA. I don't know. Good guess, good guess, but the points are still available here, Ben. I, I, I still it sound like uh, Minnesota. Uh, I don't know Utah. Okay, correct answer is SMU TCU for okay. the Iron Skillet. SMU and TCU. We move forward here. The old brass spittoon. What? The old what? Is that was is that Trophy. Wyoming and Nevada? Uh no. Good guess. The, ben, old, the brass, old brass that, spittoon. Uh uh like what West Virginia. And just by themselves or West Virginia and uh, University of Miami, Ohio. All right. Correct answer. Indiana versus Michigan State. The <laughs> old brass spittoon. We, we are talking about rivalry trophy names. Ben currently has two. Kevin has zero. All right, gentlemen. An interesting one here. The Okie Finoki or? Florida, Georgia. That is correct. And Christian and I, but this is the only reason why I know that, right? When growing up, you know, my granddad would always tell me, oh, yeah, them, he said, them Georgia, them Georgia Okafenoki boys. And when I got to Florida, but you know, I had some of them coaches hit me with that old Ben, you know, you want to know some of the history of this game? And I used to be like, no, because they're going to still tell me. I do, I do remember that. I don't, I shouldn't remember that, but I do remember that. Yes. Yeah, apparently not a well-known fact. Uh, very much Georgia not a well-known fact. <laughs> well, I mean, Okie Finoke, it better be for right, Georgia or something. I mean, I got, I got. So shout out to my shout out to my granddaddy still still help me get some points, not the win, granddaddy. We'll see at the end. <laughs> well, Ben's at four, Kevin's at zeros. We try to guess the two teams who play for these rivalry trophies. All right, the platypus trophy. The platypus. A platypus is an animal, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I got one of these correct. Uh, yeah. Where would there even be platypuses to, uh, to uh, make a trip? Uh, uh, let's see uh, here. Utah, Utah State. Illinois and Iowa. No. Wow. Okay. The correct answer is Oregon and Oregon State. Oh, my. I was going to say that. Trophy. Oregon and Oregon State, of course. I was right, just going to say that. For Kevin Zero. Do we get half a point okay. for getting ready so, to so say just so, so I guess the Oregon State Beavers and the Ducks play for a platypus trophy. That's re- Does that make sense? <laughs> okay. The, here we go, Kevin. Kevin, you got to get some, some traction here. The old Oaken Bucket. The what? 
That is uh, the what? The old oaken bucket. It's old oaken bucket. That is uh, Michigan and Wisconsin. No, Ben, a chance to add to your lead. I'm so bad. Play for oh, wait, a bucket. Oh, wait, 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 Because there's one that... It's a wait, bucket, wait, wait. it's old, and it's made of oak. Wait a minute. No, and you joke about that. I actually was reading about the trophy. Apparently, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Here come the weirdness. BJ, if I get this, man, you're going to have to give me some, some extra points. I thought it was... Man, it's... It, it, it's something that got nothing to do with like those type like cities on thing. Ah, it's it's oh shoot! It's Arizona State and Arizona. That was a lot of effort for being way off. You know uh, what? You know answer, what? That's your problem but, right there. No, the correct answer is Indiana and Purdue. Oh my God! The Boilermakers. Bucket, the old oaken bucket. Okay, we move forward. Kevin, you are trailing four to zero. Floyd of Rosedale. Floyd that, of Rosedale. That's not a real thing. The what? You play for a trophy called Floyd of Rosedale. Oh man, that's oh that's oh that's uh that's uh that's Yale versus Dartmouth. Cal okay. Cal and Stanford. <laughs> You think Cal and Stanford play for okay, the correct answer? The correct answer uh, no, no, no. is Iowa and Minnesota. Hold play on, for Floyd you don't get to, you don't get to patronize the, the Iowa people answering the question. You think and that Minnesota? Is that what, what is I, the Floyd of Rosedale? <laughs> listen, this is a very famous college football trophy. Paul Bunyan's axe. Wisconsin and Minnesota. Yes, and Kevin is on the board in resounding fashion. Ben four, Kevin two, as we. Play a little name those teams, rivalry trophies. So now it's close. We have, let's see, about a half dozen left. All right, Kevin, are you ready? Because this is, are you, are you ready for where we are here? Yeah. Sure. The, the golden boot. LSU, Arkansas. And there it is. We are now tied. LSU, the Arkansas. The drama is overwhelming. <laughs> and name those teams. Yes. I was really worried after your, your, your struggles with the first one, Kevin. Okay. Four to four. The bourbon barrel. Louisville, bourbon Kentucky. Kentucky. Louisville, Kentucky. I will give you one. I will give you one. It is Kentucky. They do not play Louisville. And actually, Ben, you said it kind of at the same time. Maybe I'll give both of y'all one. I appreciate that, man, because I was. It was pretty close. <laughs> I feel like it was pretty close. Plus, te- Kevin, plus technically, you said Louisville first. Which was wrong, and he's so. I'm, I'm kind of. You shouldn't get any points, but I'll give you one. Well, they make bourbon in Kentucky, so I'd like to see who the other answer is. Well, Ben, do you have a guess? Uh wait a minute. Oh, gotta get to it here. Oh, uh, oh. I, I don't. He doesn't. Know. I don't know. All right, all right. That was impressive. It's it's Kentucky and Indiana and Indiana. We got to move through these quickly. I'll give both of y'all one there just because I'm a nice guy. Five five. The Chancellor's Spurs. The Chancellor's Spurs. Texas, Texas Tech. Very impressive. Well done, Kevin. Got both. 
Ben, you're now trailing seven to five. Kevin, Kevin, how did you know that? That was. I mean, pretty... where is the spur going to be? <clears> yeah, Spurs. Like you got the Longhorns and the Raiders. They both were. Uh... All right, we got four left. Eight possible points. The war on I four. Central from Florida, Florida, South Florida. I think Kevin. Kevin's on top of it. Kevin now oh, with man. what nine. Ben, you're at five. Kevin's at nine, maybe pulling away here. All right, we have three more left. Ben, you have to finish strong. Name those teams. The Apple Cup. Washington, Washington State. State. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Kevin's starting to pull away and assert his dominance Hold here. on. I said Washington State, though. No. No. I mean, we said it at the same time. Sort of. No, no. He said it, and then you said it. All oh, right. No, no, no. You gonna, need to go back to the try to, I'm going to help you out. He's laughing. I'm going to try to help Black Diamond Trophy. Colorado, Colorado State. No, I know this one. No. I know this one. <laughs> Where, do, wait a minute. Do you West, know? West Virginia. Yes. And Virginia Tech. Yes. Yes. Very impressive. It's a crazy-looking thing. You, you literally don't have a chance to win, but that was still very impressive. I don't, so I don't need you to me, tell me what I don't got. You just keep going. I'm just saying. Listen, to make it closer, finally, the Big Dog Trophy. Y'all said one that li- y'all said one was literally new and like made up. I'm going to go with the one that UConn made up and make it UConn and Central Florida. I like the guess, but no, Ben. Big Dog Trophy. The Big Dog Trophy. The Heisman. Uh, <laughs> Arizona, Arizona State. That is your second guess for Arizona, Arizona State, neither of which, well, they're not they're not dogs. Correct answer, Citadel and Wofford. That's the ridiculous. Bulldogs and the Terriers, Citadel and Wofford. Final score, Kevin 11, Ben 7. Name those teams. Well done, gentlemen. I feel lied to. Said D1 FBS uh, <laughs> championship. Anyway, that being said. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Citadel and Wofford aren't D1? Citadel and Wofford aren't D1. You said, I, I thought it was FBS. That distinction was made. That's okay. David Waters, Gators Breakdown will join us when we come back. Good to have you back here, three and out, on this Monday. A change there in Gainesville. Dan Mullen is out. He will get $6 million within the next 30 days and a million dollars a year for the next six years. Joining us here on the program uh, to help us talk all about that. Our uh, good friend from Gators Breakdown, David Waters, joins us here on 3 and Out. David, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good, guys. How about you? Doing good. Uh, Surprise level, I I guess, that this happened on Sunday, maybe not after Florida State, or uh, if they would have won against Florida State. How how surprised were you that this happened on Sunday? Uh. From beginning of the season, very surprised. But then as the season played out, uh, not too surprised. After that loss to South Carolina a couple weeks ago, uh, I didn't think Dan Mullen could afford another loss on the season. And then you had the very close game versus FCS Stanford last week. Uh, that probably plays into the decision a bit too. But either way, I still thought if Dan Mullen could beat Missouri and beat FSU, then I thought it was a 50-50 shot that he'd be back next year. Uh, but then losing to Missouri, overtime fashion, of course, uh, this week, it was the final straw. It looked like for Scott Strickland to go ahead and make the move and for to go ahead and get these coaching sweepstakes that LSU and USC is, you know, for big programs already in. And uh, so not 
too surprised after that South Carolina game that if there was another loss along the way, I thought this might happen. Dave, I was surprised that Florida and Dan Mullen didn't try to go down the field late in the fourth quarter of the Missouri game. Let's say Florida does, gets the field goal, or let's say even the two-point conversion try uh, isn't converted for Missouri. If Florida wins, even in ugly fashion, is is Dan Mullen still the head coach today? I, I believe he is. Uh, I think it would have taken a loss no matter how Florida would have won the game. Uh, I still think he'd be – uh, head coach and look, I mean, just that 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 that, um, that drive you're talking about at the end of the game. I mean, that's kind of a symptom of this season. You go back to earlier in the season versus Kentucky as well. Right before halftime, Florida sat on the ball in a very close game, didn't try to push the ball down the field. Uh, but then you know, would kind of the season, well, not really season, but maybe his job on the line decides to go kind of conservative again and probably didn't trust his fourth-year quarterback, Emory Jones, probably didn't trust the offensive line uh, to protect Emory Jones. He didn't, he didn't trust his offense so to go make a play, try to go win the game. And you kind of saw it play out in overtime, going for that two-point conversion. Eli Drinkowitz in Missouri, they were playing to win the game, and they won the game. Uh, so, you know, that was a very – uh, another example, maybe even a microcosm of how this season has went, things you were always able to count on Dan Mullen to bring to the table, uh, a certain aggressiveness, uh, a certain approach to the game, didn't get that from Florida this year. So it was, it was, it's more, more than wins and losses of why Dan Mullen is no longer the coach at Florida. Uh, and kind of we can talk recruiting, that's the biggest issue. We can talk uh, loyalty to staff. Uh, but the things you were always able to count on for Dan Mullen, even those fell apart this year. And Dave, when you you know from what I'm seeing online, I mean, obviously he made a huge impression on the players that he coached from pre- former players to current players. They're just very, very complimentary of him. Obviously, he walked, you know, he took he took this situation with 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 class. But you know, just like I know, I mean, two New Year's Six bowls is very, very impressive. But it's been downhill, kind of starting last year with the LSU game. It kind of kind of was able to get out of his own way. How much was this had to do with not just 2021, but kind of what got started at the end of 2020? Yeah, but I think as far as on the field results, that's where it started. You know, this wasn't just a 2021 uh, look here. It goes back to that LSU game last year and losing that game a week before you play Alabama. And you, know, you go to Alabama. You probably don't beat Alabama last year anyway, but you would have loved to give yourself a shot. Uh, and you kind of just uh, – that LSU game, inexplicable loss there at home in the swamp, heading into a chance for a college football playoff spot. And it really starts there. And then the – uh, explanation of the bowl game last year versus Oklahoma. Not, you know, players sitting out and uh, not really taking it all that serious. And you, you get, that's that's the feeling you got from that game uh, last year. And then uh, once you threw it all out there on the field again versus Alabama, it looks like that's you know that was the best part they could offer. That was they they, threw, they all they had in the tank versus that Alabama game. And then the season fell apart after that. But Ben, ultimately, man, it always goes back to me. Uh, when Dan Mullen was hired. I agreed with the hire. He was the top pick. I thought he should have been the hire coming after Jim McElwain to dig Florida out of that offensive hole. But I still always had the question, could he recruit at a consistent enough level along with Kirby Smart, along with Nick Saban, to not just be a flash in the pan once every few years, to compete, to to, to be in Atlanta 
uh, on a consistent basis. So it's going to be hard to do, no matter who the head coach is. But you want to go into that game in Jacksonville with a chance. You didn't get that chance this year. Uh, you know, the, the season was pretty much already over with. It was the projection. It was what the direction of the program looked like. And with recruiting ever since Dan Muller took over, not being able to take advantage of FSU and Miami being down, and then this being his worst class paired with a really bad season, I just don't know if there was a lot of hope in the direction of this program with the way the recruiting was trending for this Gator program. David Waters, Gators Breakdown, joining us here on 3 and Out. And, and David, uh, I think Dan Mullen would elected not to coach this week. What do you expect out of a, a Florida program finishing uh, the season? Obviously, a win gets them bowl eligible, but now Dan Mullen is gone. You've lost your defensive coordinator. What kind of uh, – the season has not been what you thought it was going to be. What kind of effort do you expect this week? It's a rivalry game. But, again, under the circumstances, what do you expect this weekend from Florida? Yeah, you know, whether Dan Mullen's going to be head coach or not, uh, just Florida team's been struggling, and FSU's been improving. Uh, but you do have to go out there effort-wise, and it is a rivalry game. You go play for yourself. You go play for the seniors. That It is their last game uh, to go out there as your teammate or themselves, their last game they're going to play. Uh, and try, and, if you know, whatever, if there's – I don't want to necessarily say respect for the staff, but you know, if you, you want to go out there and just you know, play your best for your last game with this staff as well, uh, they, a lot of these guys were recruited by this staff, and you know, you won last hurrah uh, with, with this staff. So you know, that, that's how you have to approach it. And you know, Ben knows how it is. Uh, you know, Ron Zook and getting carried off the field there in Tallahassee, his you know swan song game. Well, it won't be Dan Mullen as head coach, but still a lot of those staff members you'd like to send out in the right way. Uh, you know, being being a player out there, but also you know, I go back to Dan Mullen not necessarily being able to take advantage of Florida State being down and Miami being down. You beat those teams head to head. This is also you know, really kind of a you could look at it as a future game. I mean, Florida State's recruiting pretty well right now. If they can sit there and say on the trail, "Hey, we beat Miami this year. We beat Florida this year," uh, you know, it could set up a kind of a, maybe a spark in their recruiting to take over for Mike Norvell for a little while. Uh, you know, so I think you're playing for that a little bit as well. Is you know trying to stall some of the momentum that FSU might have on the trail. You can go out there and maybe stall it just a bit uh, by going out there and getting a win with a lame duck staff. David, everybody's uh, reading the rumors online. It could it be Lane Kiffin? Could it be Billy Napier? What about Bob Stoops? In your mind, who are the legitimate candidates to be the next head football coach of the Florida Gators? Uh, legitimate, the, the the hot name right now is Billy Napier. Uh, maybe even some contacts already happened, and maybe that's why a move was made uh, away from Dan Mullen before the FSU game, going out there and, and, and going ahead and uh, getting into those sweepstakes. Uh, you know, we don't know how far LSU might be in that conversation with Napier as well, as they're right down the road in Baton Rouge. Uh, so I think you have to you look at it that way. But he seems to be the hot name. Uh, out there, look. I think there's even within like five minutes of me coming on this call with you guys. I think somebody's even tracked the flight from Gainesville to Lafayette, Louisiana. So that's where we're at right now uh, with that one. So, of course, you mentioned Lane Kiffin, and I'm not sure the Florida administration would go Lane Kiffin. I think he'd be a phenomenal hire for Florida uh, with his offensive acumen there. Uh, I, 
would love to know if the, what the administration thinks of Lane Kiffin uh, before they go that route. And you mentioned Bob Stoops. Uh, could Florida get him out of retirement? And all the connections of being uh, Steve Spurrier's defensive coordinator, of course, leading the Oklahoma to great things, uh, even and then going to retiring. Can you get him out of retirement uh, there? Or maybe even a Luke Fickle. Could you pull him from the Midwest, his background in Ohio? Could you get him from Cincinnati? Could he follow maybe a similar track like, like Urban Meyer did from Utah uh, to, to go to Florida? He's got connections to Urban Meyer. Would he talk to Urban Meyer about the expectations and what can you expect as a head coach at the university? of Florida. Those are probably, the, the I think, the four names maybe being thrown around the most out there. I mean, Dave, I mean, you know, right, wrong, indifferent, fair or unfair, Scott Strickland, I mean, he's got to go out there and get his guy. I mean, I understand that we never know who that guy we always We always judge what he did after the after the guy he uh, highest goes out there and do it, but how, how much pressure is on Scott Strickland not only go out there and get the guy, but get the guy that's going to not just make Florida relevant again, but competing at a high level not having to worry about, I don't know, being bowl eligible year in and year out. Yeah, Ben, I mean, like I said, you got to nail the, the recruiting side of it. So I think a recruiting acumen would be a big part of the hire. Uh, what is the history of recruiting for that head coach? But also, Ben, you know, a culture fit. Uh, Florida's a high-pressure job. Uh, the fan base is, is not easy. Uh, I don't think they're over-demanding. I don't think the expectations are any different than any other big program out there. You know, Florida just hasn't been consistent as a Georgia lately or an Alabama lately. Uh, you know, you, you hear what you hear about Florida fans. You hear a lot about Texas fans as well. You know, throw in those a consistent program like there at Oklahoma and Ohio State. If you throw inconsistency out there for those fan bases too, I think you're going to hear a lot of the same complaints you hear about uh, a program like Florida. So I think just think it's the expectations of a big program. Can you get that right culture fit? It, it, it is a different culture here in Florida. There is a lot of pressure. Uh, there, Florida fans like to win. They like to win big. There's a little bit of arrogance about it. You know, so can you get a head coach that likes to take that uh, and go along with it? You know, and then I think when things start to tailspin, work your way out of it and not have a type, a type of year like Dan Mullins had this year. Not saying you can't have bad years or something, but you've got to find a way to, to, to prevent it and, and find a way to, to, to stop the momentum and go back the other way. You can't have these big, big down years where you're fighting for bowl eligibility at the end of the season. David Waters, Gators Breakdown, our guest here on 3 and Out. David, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. And again, Dan Mullen out there at the University of Florida in the coaching search begins we'll get to some of that and more as we go throughout the show this is three and out on the southern pigskin radio network hit us up on twitter good to have you back here on this monday kevin bj and ben we'll get to take three right around the corner brooks austin dogs daily on si will join us dogs and bama officially now going to play in the sec championship game we'll talk to him about that as well as getting ready for uh, georgia tech this weekend we did have the rsm classic there on st simon's island this weekend along the coast taylor gooch wins it at 22 under uh, some of the local guys who call that area home zach johnson minus eight matt kuchar minus seven jonathan bird also at minus seven brian Harmon. Minus two when Davis Love finished the tournament at plus one. So a little quick uh, recap there of uh, the RSM and Taylor Gooch uh, winning the RSM Classic. Yeah, congratulations. You talk about 20 under. You know, he got off to a great start. You go back to Thursday and Friday and put yourself in a position, and then you maintain it through the weekend. You get your championship, and I believe the first on tour for him. So uh, congratulations. And also cool to see some low scores from some of the local guys. I know maybe not – right quite there at the end, but Zach Johnson, I mean, nine under, eight, nine under. I mean, that's getting it done, but uh, congratulations. And uh, 
I think you start talking about 20, 21, 22 under, that is absolutely getting it done. Oh, yeah, that's uh, way out there in uh, in the stratosphere uh, as he was this week. We'll get to take three coming up next hour. Also, more on uh, Rivalry Week, more on Dan Mullen. How does that change things? You now have Florida, LSU, Southern Cal, all searching for coaches. How many rock star coaches are there out there to fill all of these gigs? You also, by the way, have Washington and Washington State uh, in the Pac-12, and you could have a couple of more. Uh, before this season is over, Virginia Tech. So you have a lot of P- TCU. Yeah, you Jesus. have a lot of P5 jobs uh, that are open. How are you going to fill all these things? We'll look at that and more. It is three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio, streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com. You can also catch us online on our Facebook page, uh, Twitter, and our YouTube channel at ESPN Coastal. They're on YouTube. We're coming back hour two next. We take three here on. Good to have you back here. Hour two, Kevin, BJ, and Ben. We'll hear from Brooks Austin, Dogs Daily on SI. Coming up this hour, we'll talk some Georgia football uh, with him as the Dogs now officially locked in with Alabama in the SEC championship game as they get ready for rivalry weekend coming up this Saturday there in Atlanta. We'll also look at the rivalry games, what makes a good rivalry game, which ones are our favorites here as we go into the post-Turkey Day Thanksgiving's for being thankful, and then Friday, Saturday, it's all for not liking the other people on the other side when it comes to, uh, to college football uh, there at the end of the day. So we'll get to that coming up in just a little bit. But first, well, let's take three here on Three and Out. All right, fellas, take one. How soon will Dan Mullen be a candidate for another coaching job? And could he be on the sidelines with a new team as early as 2022? I mean, he's got an incredible resume uh, and with so many job openings. I mean, even the openings we already know about. Like if you're if you're TCU, do you call Dan Mullen and say, hey, had Mississippi State number one in the country not that long ago. You had Florida in the SEC championship game last year within one score of Alabama. I think the resume is very impressive, and I think the opportunities will be there. And we were talking about this in the show meeting, Ben. I mean, could he be a head coach right away? Could he be a coordinator right away? I mean, potentially. I I think there are going to be opportunities. It wouldn't stun me if maybe he does the TV thing where you take a year off, you do some television, you get away from it for a little bit, and then you come back in 2022 or 2023, and and you're a viable candidate. But – uh, wouldn't stun me if he gets hired this this upcoming cycle. And the reason is because of the domino effect, right? Like, even if you say, okay, Dan Mullen's probably not a candidate at, at, at SC or LSU or anything like that. I mean, if Billy Napier goes to Florida and you're Louisiana, are you looking around and wow, I mean, could I get a, a guy who was at Mississippi, at Florida, right there in the region? So I think the opportunities will be there. Uh, and the more I think about it, I think he'll probably be a head coach in 2022. Yeah, I, th- I think it's already started. I mean, I, you don't you don't lose you don't lose uh, you don't lose the momentum and resume uh, that that a guy like Dan Mullen has. I mean, I mean Kevin and BJ. I mean, like I, like I said in the opening segment, Dan Mullen is coach number seven since 2000. So it's not a matter of if, but when. I mean, Florida the the, the longest tenure coach that Florida's had that I can remember is Steve Spurrier. Since then, I mean, you get four, maybe five years, and it's time to move on. So I do think, you know, Kevin, when you think about a guy like Dan Muller, I mean, he's still a big-time name. And you always got to think, 
when Florida got Dan Mullen, that was another school that had him on their radar. But he said, by him saying yes to Florida, that means he said no to other teams. You don't, I mean, you don't lose that. So, I look, right now, I mean, maybe, what, we could call it the, the, the head coach transfer portal. I mean, he somebody is to say, <laughs> I want this dude. But the thing about and the, and the thing about it is, is if I'm at Louisiana Beach and I'm saying I ain't counting his money, but I'm like, well, we know he's getting six million in six days, and he's gonna get a million. We don't, we can't afford that type of coach anyway. And I would say this about Florida, huh? That much pressure. I don't know if Dan Mullen wants to step into another pressure cooker like he just stepped out of, but I do think it's already started. Somebody is on the phone right now trying to bring Dan Mullen in because if you say the new head coach of of whatever team who who is also the former head coach. Ron Zook left Florida with the Illinois. Now, he didn't last, but you was at Florida, so that's got to mean something. I don't know if there's a better or bigger resume builder than that, so Dan Mullen is already being being recruited. Well, I mean, here's the thing I think would be interesting about Dan Mullen, and there are certain guys that find themselves in this position. Okay, as Ben said, he's getting $30 million in the next 30 days. from Florida, Or $6 million, excuse me, in the next 30 days. So he's got $6 million coming in. He's going to get paid a million dollars a year for the next six years from Florida. Is he? Does somebody want him as a head coach? Uh, yes. Given what happened at Florida, would Dan Mullen take a highly paid coordinator gig and basically have all the fun of designing and calling plays and none of the pressure of recruiting and worrying about what the locker room culture looks like uh, in, in the locker room? I'm here to score points. That's what I'm doing. The end. And, oh, by the way, Florida's still paying me $6 million, and all I need to do is worry about the offense at School X. I think that could be an interesting possibility uh, for Dan Mullen uh, in there as well, where you're well taken care of uh, financially from the University of Florida. Do you go to a low-stress, relatively speaking, coordinator position? And if you want to get back into head coaching, you may not have to stay at School X, but maybe a year, and somebody will still be ringing that phone wanting you to be the head coach. That's just a hypothesis. I, I know, BJ, you said the TV route maybe, but I don't know. Some guys just like football. I think Dan Mullen's a guy that likes football. And maybe if it's not in a head coaching role, he can say, hey, I'll be out of the spotlight and just call offense and, 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 and go with it. Moving along, take two. Who should be the Heisman favorite, Ohio State's C.J. Stroud or Alabama's Bryce Young? And both had historic performances on, on Saturday. I think Stroud was 32 of 35 for like 425 with six touchdowns, I believe all in the first half, which is a video game. And then Bryce Young was, I think, 33 of 40 for 559 and six touchdowns. Those guys are separating themselves and it's been incredible watching them. I do think it's close. I think it's very close. But as I wrote on Southern Pigskin, I think it's Bryce Young right now. And if you look at the stats, they're incredibly comparable. But if you look at Stroud and Young, right now, uh, Bryce Young has 38 touchdowns and three interceptions. C.J. Stroud has 36 touchdowns and five interceptions. Bryce Young is at 71.7% completions. C.J. Stroud is at 71.1% completion. So they're right there. Stroud's at 10 yards per attempt. Young's at 9.8. C.J. Stroud's passer rating is 186.7. Bryce Young's is 186.2. So statistically, they're right there. I think what Young did on Saturday was maybe a little more impressive if you view those as kind of the springboard games. And I know you may be thinking, well, Ohio State put up, what, 49 or something in the first half against Michigan State? And I'm not taking anything away from that. I absolutely understand and agree with that. 
But if you're splitting hairs and comparing the two performances, Michigan State is last in the nation in pass defense, not 127th, not 128th. They are last, and they are last by a wide margin. You're talking about a historically bad pass defense for Michigan State, whereas Arkansas entered the weekend with a top three pass defense in the SEC. So if you view the two games from Saturday as kind of the signature games for Young and Stroud, Stroud had a great game, but did it against the worst pass defense in the country. Bryce Young did it against a pretty good group, and the number numbers are pretty comparable. I think Christian said to me earlier, hey, it'll probably be decided on championship weekend. I think that's a good, good bet. Uh, but for right now, I would say Bryce Young. Bryce Young is balling right now. He's trying to do something that, I mean, of everything that Alabama has done, the one thing they've have, they've never done, they've never had a Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback, which to me is crazy. But, BJ, you know, you know you, you, you're speaking from a reality and stat standpoint. I'm speaking from a perception standpoint. If you go to Saturday, all you saw was C.J. Stroud, C.J. Stroud, C.J. Stroud. Look at what he's doing in the first half. 32 or 35, 400, and what, 32 yards and six touchdowns? I think he did that in the first half. And, once again, biggest brand in college football, Alabama. One of the big, one of the most recognizable brands, oh, my God, Ohio State. And, BJ, you know just like I know. It's those moments, right? It's the fact that we will, we, we'll, look, we'll look past what Bryce Young did because of what the game was, and we'll look at what C.J. Stroud did because it was it was a 9-1 Michigan State. So, we'll look at the team more than the pass defense. So, me, I would go C.J. Stroud. Big-time player at a big-time universe against a big-time team in Michigan State who was coming in with one loss. Both teams coming in uh, with one loss. So, for me, I would go with C.J. Stroud right now. Just slightly ahead, but ahead. I feel like Bryce Young is the leader right now going into the final week of the regular season, and then we'll see what happens. Obviously, you've got the Iron Bowl, Michigan, and Ohio State, two teams that are going to be, I think, potentially top four, top five in the uh, college football playoff poll when it comes out uh, tomorrow. That's going to be a huge game. I think if C.J. Stroud goes off in that game, that might kick him ahead of Bryce Young. But it has been a weird year for Heisman Trophy in that nobody's really just jumped off the page and ran away with it uh, when it's all said and done. All right, take three. Who is the current NFL MVP favorite in your estimation? I think it's a running back. I think it's Jonathan Taylor uh, for the Indianapolis Colts. And... Not only are the stats there, but Kevin, to go back to what we were talking about with the baseball MVP arguments, I think most valuable player really applies here when you look at Taylor's production and what he's done over the last month. Okay, right now, Jonathan Taylor leads the NFL with 1,122 rushing yards. He's a couple hundred yards in front of the runner-up. So he leads the NFL in rushing yards by a wide margin. Also leads the NFL with 13 rushing touchdowns. Uh, in addition to that, he is uh, on pace for about 600 receiving yards, which is a good year for a wide receiver. Has 332 receiving yards right now on 32 receptions. Is averaging six yards per rush, 10 yards per catch. And beyond that, I think this is the important point. The Colts have won three games in a row, and the Colts have won five of six overall. And it's been Taylor who's been making the plays week after week. I mean, I think the Colts have a good roster. I don't think anybody would confuse them with, you know, New England or, or, or Baltimore or, you know, some of the more talented rosters uh, in the league. And I think Taylor has elevated the status quo of that group. So for me, I know running backs get overlooked sometimes in the league. I think it's, uh, I think it's Jonathan Taylor. 
Who, man? When, I, when I'm trying to think about who I want to, you know, put for my uh, for my uh, MVP right now, a lot of names, BJ, I like Jonathan Taylor. I like Patrick Mahomes. But I'm going to give you a name, Kevin and BJ, that we sleeping on. I'm going to go with Mr. Justin Herbert right now for them charges. You got to understand, this is a guy that is rookie year. I mean, over 4,000 yards. People thought that Izzy, a one, a, uh, you know, a one-year wonder, or can he go out there and get it done? BJ, you talking about some stats. They are 6-4 right now, right behind those Kansas City Chiefs. This is what he did last night. He went 30 for 41, 382 uh, yards, three touchdowns, and a pick. But, BJ, this is what you like. He had nine rushes yesterday for 90 yards. Nine for nine. Now, I'm, I am not confusing him with Lamar Jackson. His first name is Jesse. His last name is Herbert. But nine for 90, that's better than most. That's better than any running back for the Tennessee Titans right now. And you know who the starting running back is for the Titans right now? Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson going to give you 90 yards right now if everybody fell down every <laughs> single play. And I love Adrian Peterson. But Justin Herbert, BJ, is doing it for an unlikely team like the Chargers. Let's face it. The Chargers in L.A. are like the Clippers in L.A. No one really cares. But you show up because ain't nothing else going on, you know, uh, currently. So give me Justin Herbert finding a way to get it done in year two. And they are winning because of him, not in spite of him. Give me Mr. Justin Herbert. That's good. I was going to say Matt Ryan's the MVP for continuing to walk out there behind the, <laughs> the Falcons' offensive line every week. That's the real MVP. Who so wants to take that beating? It's, it's Mama Ryan. Yeah. You're, you're the real MVP. Who wants to take that beating each and every week? That's take three. Uh, we do it each every day this time. We'll come back still to come. We will chat with Brooks Austin in about 15 minutes. We're talking Georgia football with him. It is rivalry week. A lot of great ones out there each and every year here at the end of the season. We'll get to that next. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Really on SI coming up in just a little bit as Georgia going to the SEC championship game. We knew that, but it was officially locked in over the weekend that Alabama will be joining them in Atlanta to play in that SEC championship game. So we'll get to Brooks. We'll talk about that coming up in just a little bit. It's also rivalry weekend, BJ and Ben, which means we all come together on Thursday. We have our, our turkey, our dressing, our sweet potatoes, pumpkin pie, etc. And then Friday and Saturday, get out of my face. It's time to get after it in, in rivalry weekend and some great games, uh, obviously, at the end of the year. All right, do you have your list? Ben, do you have your list? We had to make, what, top five regular season rivalry yes. week, rivalry games. Because you have, like, Georgia-Florida, and you have uh, Army-Navy next week, and you have some rivalries throughout the year. But last week of November rivalries, right? That's correct. That was the parameters, unless you're changing them, much like you did earlier and named that team. <laughs> uh, we will uh, – we will stick with I'm the too last. Too, yeah. I, I say, I say, why should stay? Yeah, the, the the last week, the last week of November rivalries. Yes, that's what we're basing it on. Go ahead. All right, I'll give you my top five, and for you, only you. for you, I'm going five to one. I will go five to one with this list. Build number the drama. Five for me, number five for me, the Bayou Classic, uh, an HBCU showcase. You think about Grambling and Southern, great history, great tradition. I think it's a series that dates back to 19. 19- 32 uh, there in the state of Louisiana and uh, great football, the bands obviously. So the Bayou Classic for me an HBCU showcase between Grambling and Southern at number five. Number four, they call it Ben the Sunshine Showdown. I don't know if that's a new name or if that, but we know it is Florida, Florida State, okay? Florida State, Florida. Uh, I don't know that we'll ever see necessarily a return to the consistent kind of national implications you have with Steve Spurrier and Bobby Bowden, but still Programs right down I-10 from each other. Uh, ben, you played it, you've lived it, but uh, players that know each other. And I think we'll have a lot on the line again soon. 
And I'm not talking about bowl eligibility this weekend, but because of that, uh, <laughs> had to throw that in there. But I'll go Florida State, Florida at four. Number three, and I wanted to put this higher. I wanted to put it higher because I love this game, the Egg Bowl. And Ole Miss and Mississippi State, you don't have pro football there. You're not always competing for national championships. But that is what each team is focused. If, if you're Ole Miss, nothing else matters but beating Mississippi State. If you're Mississippi State, nope, you got to beat Ole Miss. And has a crazy history when you think about uh, the game. I think the, the reason I believe they came up with the egg golden egg trophy is because uh, when one of the teams won way back in the day, they rushed the field and said, we're taking the goalpost. Like, we're taking it back. We're taking it all the way back. So the Egg Bowl right there at number three. Number two for me, the game. And I know some people may say, oh, come on. It's Michigan-Ohio State. And it has not been a close rivalry as of late. Ohio State is dominated. Ohio State has won by multiple scores more often than not. But I still think the history, the legacy, the programs, you have to go with the game Michigan-Ohio State. And number one for me is the Iron Bowl. And maybe that's a boring pick, but Alabama and Auburn, uh, everything shuts down, not only in Alabama, but 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 in the South. Uh, I know Auburn's been down a little bit, but for a while, not just recently, but throughout uh, the decades, you've had national title implications, SEC title implications. You think about the kick six. I mean, so many great moments. So I'll go number five, Grambling Southern. Number four, Florida, Florida State. Number three, Mississippi State, Ole Miss. Number two, Michigan, Ohio State. Number one, Alabama, Auburn. And listen, and because BJ, you started off the right way. I'm gonna go five to one, but I mean, for me though, I mean, I got, I got six. You know, I got, I got, I got five A and five B. I know we we changed the rules. We started early in the day, so my number five is the Bayou Classic. I mean, listen, Southern. Talking about Grambling, you're talking about Battle of the Band. You're talking about some of the best food and atmosphere and culture. You're gonna get all wrapped up in one. And I mean, you know, it's one of those things the way you know you you had to have been there. I mean, I've seen a whole. I'm going to have to get down there, you know, one of these days, man, just so I can, you know, uh, embody some of that culture and that love. Uh, and, Kevin, I'm not even going to say – no, I am going to do it because I did say I had to. My 5B, Palmetto Bowl. I'm sorry. Clemson to South Carolina, I got a chance to go to it. BJ, good old Keith Adams. I think Keith Adams had 30 tackles for Clemson, by the way. And, listen, he knocked, he knocked somebody out uh, on, on the kickoff team. He's running out and knocked the blocker out and looked to the crowd because it was at – you know, it was it was at uh it was at South Carolina and people were booing. I was like, yeah, you better hope you don't come up in these stands. My number four, sunshine, the Sunshine Showdown, which we're gonna have to we're gonna have to veto that freaking name. Kevin and BJ tried to get something different. Played in it, didn't really understand it until I played in it. BJ, you talking about people throwing stuff? Uh, my freshman year, you know, when Florida State went to the uh went to the Orange Bowl and National Championship. I mean, uh, you know. I'm just saying, I mean, I got belted in the face with uh, oranges that felt like grapefruits. I got belted in the face by my old Chris Wink and those guys, uh, you know, uh, Snoop and those guys. Now, number three, you know, fashion hate. I'm sorry, people. I'm sorry. People think, oh, well, Georgia right now, they're the number one team. In the Let me tell y'all something. Georgia Tech cannot stand Georgia. I went to a, I've been to a Georgia Tech basketball game. They weren't even playing Georgia. And they was talking trash about the Georgia Bulldogs. They don't like nothing about them. When they say welcome to Atlanta and Georgia Tech, that's actually in Atlanta. When they say welcome to Atlanta and Athens, well, that's a, you know, that's a recruiting tactic that obviously worked for JT Daniels because, well, he's never went you know, anywhere past, you know, I guess, Denver at this point. My number two, the Iron Bowl, BJ. I, look, Auburn, Alabama, listen, throw away everything. I played with guys that went to Alabama and Auburn when I was with the Titans, and they have a genuine dislike for each other. And, I mean, you can't appreciate it. And, BJ, it has been competitive. You know, it has been competitive back and forth, but that don't it don't got to, it, it can be one side. It has nothing to do with which team is better, which team isn't. But my number one, it is the egg bowl. 
Let me tell y'all something. When it comes to the state of Mississippi, ain't no in-between. Ain't no fence straddling. You either, you either with Oxford or Stark Vegas. You know, you're going to pick a side. They're going to make you pick a side. I mean, we, I, I've heard, listen, when I, was with the, when I was with the Oakland Raiders, man, I had two guys. One was one from Mississippi State, the other one for Ole Miss. They started making up stuff about each other while they're talking about GPAs. They started talking about upbringing. They started talking about, you know, how they treated. I, I was like, wait a minute. People said, oh, what about, you know, what about Archie? What about Eli? Like, what about it? You know, people, yeah, and this, and BJ, this was 40 days, a deck, and all this other type of stuff. I mean, look, what? Well, you, you, you got A.J. Brown, you got D.K. Metcalf, look like they look like action figures, at, you know, at receiver. You're talking about Dak Prescott, and what do you mean to Mississippi State? So, for me, it is the Egg Bowl because when they enti- – not entire, entire, an entire state shuts down because it's all about this game. Man, you got to love it. So, for me, give me the Egg Bowl one, Iron Bowl two, Clean No Fashion Hate three, the Sunshine Showdown four, the Bayou Classic Slash, Palmetto Bowl, my five, eight, and five B. Kevin, the floor is yours, sir. I think we know who your top five is going to be. I don't. Uh, do you know who my top five is going to be? <laughs> I was flowing. I just went. <laughs> and, again, these are ones that I just look forward to. Uh, just falling short, BJ said this uh, before the show, too, just falling short, Apple Cup. Why? Because it's everything you think about when you think about the state of Washington. It's usually gray. It's rainy. It's cold. It looks gross outside. And they're playing football. I love it. Washington State and Washington didn't make the list, though. Number five, Bedlam. I love it. It's called Bedlam. Like, just go nuts. It's Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, which this year could be for a playoff spot for Oklahoma State. They are uh, just one loss on the season. You beat Oklahoma, go to the the, uh, the Big 12 championship game. Who knows? Stranger things have happened there. And, again, you got Mike Gundy uh, on, on one side really bringing a lot uh, for Oklahoma State, uh, helping them not be so uh, Oklahoma-dominated. Uh, but, again, I just love the fact that it's called Bedlam. Number four, I said Florida versus Florida State. I refuse to call it what Ben said it was. That's a stupid name. And it just, I mean, come on. Come up with something better. And until then, we're just going to call it Florida v. Florida State. Two teams that get after it. Two teams that usually have a lot of NFL talent. They go after each other, and two teams that usually are good for a fake chest thumping at the at the midfield strike before the game starts and go, you step back. No, hold me back. No, you hold me back. That, that, that kind of thing. Uh, so I like that. Uh, and then the top three are quite simple. All the parameters you said, in-state rivalry, no, foot, no pro football, and usually good for at least a fight or two every once in a while. Number three, Palmetto Cup, Clemson, South Carolina. Hate each other. Good for a fight. I think one year, Lou Holtz, they were like, what, 0-10, and, and they're out there throwing fists at Clemson. I mean, hey, it's, you got to crazy. win something. We're going to win something. Yeah. We didn't win the game. We won the brawl. That's all that matters. <laughs> we got we got winner certificates for that. Uh, there at the end. I, I was at that banquet. Awful. You, ben, ben might have gotten a winner certificate uh, for that. Also, uh, number two, Egg Bowl. Again, it's the biggest thing in the state of Mississippi, and you had a player pretend to be a dog on a walk in the end zone. That's all I'm going to say. Walked himself. Yeah, walked himself right into the end zone, and that started outrage. And then number one, of course, it's the Iron Bowl. Usually has a lot of implications, and BJ might be one of the few rivalry games in which the following article was written. Man says he stabbed his relative because he, quote, was not upset enough about losing to Auburn. That was a real story. 
Someone stabbed their own relative and, and, and because the other, they weren't taking somebody, the loss hard enough. somebody else poisoned the trees at Auburn <laughs> yeah. and called into the station. Yes. I think it was Paul Firebomb showed to yes. let him know, well, I just know I just poisoned the trees. And, all listen, all the toilet paper you ever seen will be used and thrown by the Auburn fans. Yes. A lot of craziness. So that, there's no question that one is number one. When another fan drives 100-plus miles to go poison trees that aren't in the stadium, they're up the street – and say, you think I care? That is a rivalry game. Put that my scam friends. Newton jersey. Yeah, when they put that <laughs> scam Newton jersey. I mean, and that, that, same guy said, that same guy said, quote, he wanted to name his daughter Alabama. If you don't get, <laughs> he did. It's some crazy nonsense, man. It's some craziness. His wife said, yeah. uh, no. Love the Iron Bowl and everything <laughs> it encompasses. We'll come back. We'll chat with the Brooks Austin Dogs Daily on SI.com. Georgia, we knew it was going to the SEC championship game. They now know for sure they will be playing Alabama. He'll join us next here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Welcome back. It's 3 and Out on this Monday. Good to have you with us here on the show. Joining us here from Dogs Daily on SI. Good friend of the show, Brooks Austin. Joining us here, Brooks. Welcome. How are you? Doing well, gentlemen. How are you? Doing fantastic. Obviously, we we knew the way it was going to go on Saturday, but uh, Georgia finds out officially it's Alabama in the SEC championship game. And uh, just talk about now that you know you have obviously several weeks, a couple weeks at least, to uh, prepare mentally for that challenge. And uh, does you finish up obviously with a rivalry game against a uh, team that's quite frankly not very good? Yeah, I was waiting on uh, Kirby Smart to be asked the question about playing Alabama, just to hear him say, oh, we're focused on beating Georgia Tech this week. They're a really good football team. We respect what Jeff Collins and his staff are doing over there. Those guys are doing a great job. So, um, no, I mean, you got some time to think about Alabama, right? You got time to look ahead, forward towards them, uh, maybe even sneakily practice some schemes that they run. I know Kirby's, you know, uh, alleviated to doing that in prior weeks. Uh, prior to prior matchups, you know, against teams that they knew they would handle uh, mightily like they will Georgia Tech on Saturday, I would imagine. But uh, no, I've said all along since about week six, um, if you're going to get Alabama and you're going to get over the Bama hurdle, this is the year to try to do it. I I wouldn't want anybody else, if I were a Georgia fan right now, than Alabama in the SEC championship game to get that monster over with, to to, to slay that dragon and be done with it. Because I think this is the year that they are most vulnerable, for sure. Going back to Saturday, Brooks, how cool was it to see Jordan Davis get a rushing touchdown? Yeah, uh, you, you knew something like that was going to happen. Um, you know, I, th- I think it was funny after the game, Kirby actually, like, I think he gave it away. I, I don't He, he said Jalen Carter had been actually asking to catch a pass, and they, they might sneak him out later in the season to get him a little receiving touchdown, potentially, like they did last year. Um, so, uh, you know, I, it, it was fun. It's always fun to see a big guy score, right? Uh, a, a thick six, as uh, Chris Long and, and some of those guys would say on social media. But, no, nah, I always love watching a big guy score. I think it was even funnier to watch him lead the band. Uh, you know, Kirby said something about it today. Uh, you know, actually Saturday afternoon, he said that, you know, Jordan's a, a, a worldly guy. He's made friends on that campus way beyond football including the band. So uh, a, a great send-off to an even better career uh, so far for Jordan Davis. And he's got about three, three four games left um, to go out there and really put a nail uh, in, in, a, in a historic career for a defensive tackle at Georgia. And, Brooke, I mean, you know, even even sticking with that, you talk about a guy like Jordan Davis, his influence on a guy like Kirby Smart. Kirby's, he's going to give you the poker face. Obviously, Kirby is all about football, but – 
Kirby is doing things this year we never saw him. You know, he would never have done this in the past. Not saying he didn't want to, but he had to earn his stripes. We just talk about how even a guy like Jordan Davis is helping a guy like Kirby Smart. Not saying he doesn't, but enjoy this ride while you on this ride. You know, I, I think the most important way that Jordan Davis helps Kirby Smart is uh, be the best nose tackle that college football's seen in the last couple of years in an odd front defense that plays a lot of true zero. Like, he's over the center a lot, two gapping, taking care of both A-gaps between the guards, and that frees up linebackers. Look, line, the linebacker play for Georgia this year has been great. Don't get me wrong. N'Kobe Dean is a bona fide Buckus Award candidate and, and probably will win the award. Quay Walker's been playing great. Channing Tindall's been playing great. But turn on the film. Turn on the film of Georgia's defense and watch what 99 does. There are three people that are touching him at all times, which lets your middle linebackers just run free. They get to do things that other linebackers never get to do. They get to do things schematically that other defenses never get to do because their interior defensive line is so daggum good that they know that offensive line of the opposition is never going to get to the second level. Brooks Austin, Dogs Dale and SI joining us here on 3 and Out. And, uh, Brooks, obviously, uh, Georgia Tech this weekend, who's uh, obviously having a uh, pretty bad season under Jeff Collins. What's kind of the goal there? I think they could pick the score, but what's, uh, what's kind of the goal getting ready for the SEC championship game? You know, man, I'll just talk about Georgia Tech for a minute. Look, I, I, I've been betting Georgia Tech for a lot this season because I think that team fights for Jeff Collins, or at least they had until last week. So seeing a 55, you know, goose egg against Notre Dame was utterly shocking to me. Now, I know they'll be at home this week, but again, I, I think that football team's played hard for him apart from last week. They laid an absolute egg uh, up there in Notre Dame. So, um, But in terms of Georgia, it's, it's, it's a lot like you tried to do last week, right? Get the game controlled, get the game settled and decided early on, get that first unit out of the lineup. Uh, but, you know, they're not – It's luckily it's an out-of-conference game, so they'll be able to travel with a bunch of those backups – um, if this was an in-conference game and you were favored by 35 points, you'd probably see what happened against Tennessee or Devontae Wyatt's playing midway through the fourth quarter because you ain't got no other bodies out there because you can only travel so many uh, on an inter-conference game. Luckily, this one is out of conference, so I'm sure they'll travel a full 85, 90 guys. Saw four quarterbacks uh, last week. What did you make of those guys' performances, and do you think we'll see multiple quarterbacks this weekend? You know, it's, it's really hard to tell in terms of w what they're doing, um, you know, at the quarterback position after the game's controlled. You know, I, I don't, Brock Vandergriff, I don't think, attempted a pass um, at all in the football game. Carson Beck barely got to run the offense. They're basically only throwing on third and long at that situation. So um, I, 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 like to, I like to reserve comment for anything like that until I get a, a larger sample size. I think JT Daniels has played relatively well. It's clear that, you know, his mental capacity is still there. He's still really sharp, still getting all the reads and keys correct uh, at the right time. Um, and it seems like he's picking up the speed of the game pretty well uh, as well uh, after not having played in a while. But again, it's, it's Charleston Southern. And, and you're up 40 points when you get into the football game. So it's really, really hard to evaluate. Uh, but, yeah, I would imagine you see a couple of them this week again, uh, assuming, again, that the game is handled early on in the football game. Brooks, the one thing I you know, I noticed about when, I, when I'm watching Georgia play, everybody they think that everybody on the field is a five-star. They think everybody on there, from the kickers, punters, long snappers. But that's not the case. People talk about no. development at other schools. Brock Bowers, I mean, he is – look at how well of a player he is as a true freshman not having – you know, pick-ins and burden those guys all year long. Just talk about the development that you see at Georgia because we we see the the the, the recruiting rankings and we think, oh man, mm -hmm. they got they got twenty five five stars. No, 
But just talk about how they look like five stars, even though they might not have five stars attached to their name. Yeah, you know, Bowers was a, I think Bowers was a top 100 player. I know he's an SI 99 player for us over at SI American. I don't know what he was on the, on the landscape in terms of the composite. But, you know, to, to your point, A.D. Mitchell, not a highly recruited guy. Lad McConkey, not a highly recruited guy. Jordan Davis, uh, the list goes on. I mean, they, they have a really, really long list of football players. Chris Smith, not one of these five-star top 100 type football players. This is a very important football player for this team. Dan Jackson, former walk-on. Stetson Bennett, former walk-on. So, like, they're doing things in terms of the development of the football team um, that stand out. But I, I think when I look at things like this, you know, in modern football, modern college football, in order to develop guys, you got to get them to and convince them to stick around your program. That's not really something that's a given nowadays in college football with the college transfer portal. So I think we can talk a lot about development, but we also have to talk a little bit about culture when we talk about these guys sticking around for four, sometimes five years to develop into the ultimate player that they end up becoming. So I think, yeah, it, it says a lot about development. They're, they're, they're picking the right guys also. Um, A.D. Mitchell didn't have much development, guys. He's been on campus for eight months, and he's one of your best receivers. That's a great job scouting and evaluating. That's nothing to do with development. Same thing for Lad McConkey. You could say the same thing about Brock Bowers. So it, it's a great job of identifying talent, but also a great job of keeping them around and developing them. Brooks Austin, Dogs Daily on SI, joining us here on 3 and Out. Brooks, kind of talk about just the craziness of this college football season and what potentially lies ahead for, for Georgia because you're talking about Alabama, the SEC championship game, a chance for Georgia with a win to kick Alabama out of the playoff. Uh, mm -hmm. We saw Oregon's going to fall out. Mm -hmm. You got the game this weekend. If Michigan wins, Ohio State with two losses likely could be out uh, of that situation. Oklahoma State surprisingly starting to sneak up in there if they can win Bedlam this week. I mean, talk about how this thing could get shaped over the next two weeks uh, for Notre Georgia Dame. in that playoff picture. Notre Dame still hanging yeah. around. Wisconsin, by the way, only has one loss and is going to win the Big Ten West and have a Big Ten championship game out of, against whoever comes out of the East. So, like, there's still a lot to be decided. Um, I, this college football season, like, everyone's been wanting parity, right? It's the whole reason everyone begged for 12-team playoff. We need more parity. I'm sick and tired of the same five teams. Well, guess what, guys? You got all the parity you can ask for this football season. We don't know who in the hell is good outside of Georgia. That's it. Like, everyone else has flaws. You can po poke holes in everyone else's resume except for Georgia. And, oh, by the way, it's November 22nd, and we don't have an idea of who's going to win the Heisman Trophy. We don't have a clue. No, no clue. Georgia has – I don't even think – Georgia's the best team in college football by a wide margin. We don't, they're not even going to have anybody represented in New York, I don't believe. So, like, yeah, college football parity is here, but it also means we got no answers. We have very few answers when it comes to college football right now. And we are 11 weeks in. So, yeah, 12 weeks in at this point. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a wild year, that's for sure. Is there a potential matchup, a team that you think would give Georgia Ohio the State. most problems? Ohio okay. State, Ohio State, my God. Ohio <laughs> State scares the ever-loving piss out of me as a defensive coordinator. Uh, offensively, they're so good. So good. They, they have the best. I mean, we could talk about Alabama. We can compare it to Ohio State's wide receivers core in terms of Ruggs, Judy, uh, and, and Devontae Smith. This uh, this this trilogy up there at Ohio State, it's going to be up there, guys. I mean, Alave is going to be a first-round draft pick. Garrett Wilson is going to be a first-round draft pick. And uh, the young kid, the Jackson whatever. The, the, yeah, I forget his name. He's really good, number 11. He's, like, great, okay? So they're going to have three first-round draft picks at wide receiver eventually when it all shakes out. And C.J. Stroud is lighting it up right now. So that that offense, they, it, they can score, okay? So if, if they can hold Georgia to a – a 35-point game, whew, 
that might get interesting. And Brooks Farley, man, when you think about this Georgia team as a whole, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not looking towards the end. I mean, because if they do win that national championship, I'm going to have to deal with everybody that I've ever talked trash to when it comes to them Georgia fans, and rightfully so. But we talk about, we talk about uh, a team. Is there any more unlikely team than this Georgia team this year? A guy named Stetson who wasn't on campus. <laughs> get a chance, right? Stetson, last time I checked, was a hat or a fragrance, <laughs> not a football player. Jordan Davis, a guy who should be in the Heisman Trophy, uh, you know, uh, you know, a Heisman Trophy finalist. Their best receiver, mm-hmm. George Pickens, probably won't even play this year. When we talk about teams and storylines, I know that 2019 LSU team was one. Where mm-hmm. do you think this Georgia team would stack up if they can indeed finish the job? You know, I feel like every year we talk about this being the best college football team ever. I mean, we talked about it in 2019 with how great that, you know, LSU team was. I mean, you could make the argument that Alabama's team last year to go undefeated in an all-SEC schedule and then to score as many points as they did and win the way they did in the college football playoff. I feel like every year we talk about how dominant the winner is. That's what's great about college football, man. Like, you don't survive this. You don't, you don't make it through a college football season and become the national champion without being the best team in the sport. That's why it's perfect. It's awesome the way it is. You go to 12 teams, we might not get that. We might not. Fraudulent teams will make a 12-team playoff. Fraudulent teams don't win 14 playoffs. They don't. Look at the winners we've had since this thing has been invented. They have been undoubtedly and unquestionably the best team in college football that season. It's beautiful the way it is. I hope they keep it like this the more and more I watch it. Because, again, we're not going to have any questions at the end of this. There's going to be one definite final champion, and it's the only sport that we watch that's like that. Brooks Austin, Dogs Daily on SI, does a great job covering the Georgia Bulldogs. Our guest, Brooks, appreciate it. We'll talk soon. No doubt, gentlemen. See you all. Brooks Austin joining us here on 3 and Out. We'll come back. We'll give away a uh, copy of a short week for Thanksgiving. We figured to do it on a Monday. Give away a copy of Ben's book, Uncommon and Unfinished. We'll do that when we come back. It's 3 and Out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Pigskin Radio Network. A lot to get to coming up in the final hour of the program. We'll chat with Chris Gordon, uh, Locked On SEC Podcast. Also, Josh Pate will join us coming up in just a little bit. And we'll talk to both of them in the last hour of the program. And again, we've got a chance for you to win a copy of Ben's book, Uncommon and Unfinished. The Ben Troop story. Unlike Dan Mullen, his turn, he gets <laughs> Hey, I'll that one is finished. I have a new joke about finished every week. I'll send Miss Mullen a copy, but no, yes, Uncommon and Unfinished, the Ben Troop story with B.J. Bennett. We are giving away a free copy right now. All you got to do is dial 912-342-7184. Once again, it's 912-342-7184 to get a free autographed copy of Uncommon and Unfinished, the Ben Troop story with B.J. Bennett. Listen. How did, how did Kevin – listen, my, my book my book is finished. <laughs> Your book is finished. It is not unfinished. It, it is not unfinished. No, you no. You will receive a finished copy yes, you of will, Uncommon yes, you will, and Unfinished. Yes, you will receive a finished copy of Uncommon <laughs> and Unfinished, the Ben Troop Store with B.J. Bennett just by dialing in at 912-342-7184. That's 912-342-7184 to get a free signed autographed copy of Uncommon and Unfinished. 
the Banshee Room Store with BJ Bennett. We're going to give away one a week uh, through the Super Bowl, so now's your chance to get one. Call in number four right now, 912-342-7184, 912-342-7184, and you can get a copy of Ben's book. And, uh, again, right here before Thanksgiving, nice little uh, something to, uh, to pick up, 912-342-7184. A lot to get to coming up in the uh, final hour. Dan Mullen is out. Who's Florida going to get? I mean, you got pretty, it's a lot of marquee jobs open. And then the reports about is Brian Harson, who's from the north uh, northwest, is he interested in Washington or Washington State gig? Might that be interesting? Oh. So we'll uh, we'll get to that coming up in the final hour of the program as well. But again, caller four right now nine one two three four two seven one eight four. Get a copy of Ben's book. Uncommon and unfinished, a Ben Troop story with B.J. Bennett. So I know uh, a lot of folks uh, have been getting their copies and reading. Yes. A lot of good, positive uh, reviews yes. there on the book. No, really, really, really good, Kevin. Been uh, really, really appreciative of everybody who's read the books. Make sure you keep buying them. Uh, keep, keep going. Keep going. Uh, you know, put, putting your comments out there, man. It's been really, really fun for myself and B.J. Bennett. Uncommon, unfinished. Yep. The Ben Troop story with B.J. Bennett, 912-342-7184 for a free autograph signed copy. And you might just get a bonus. Of Kevin Thomas' greatest hits, but 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 but, 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 that, but that's another show for no, another yeah, day. Yeah, no, that is not happening. <laughs> no, but uh, again, if you don't win a copy, go to bentroop 84com bentroop 84com and you can buy one uh, right there uh, as well. Makes a great Christmas gift. Yes. I'm just going to throw that out there. bentroop 84com If you don't win a copy, buy a copy. Makes a great Christmas gift. We're here of three and out. A lot to get to here on the show. Josh Pace. Uh, 247 Sports will join us coming up uh, in just a little bit. We'll talk some college football with him as we come down uh, the stretch. But joining us here, host of the Locked On SEC podcast and Sports Talk 790 in Houston, Chris Gordy joins us here on 3 and Out. Chris, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, Sad, sad week. This is the last week of uh, college football. Granted, we'll get the championship weekend, the bowl games, but, man, we – we wait all damn year for this thing, and it just seems to fly right by. Oh, it, it certainly does, and you we wind up, like you said, going, it's Thanksgiving, and what in the world just happened uh, to the college football season? It's also the time for uh, for firings, although that window seems to have been sped up here in, uh, in 2021. But uh, Dan Mullen out at Florida. You already have the LSU gig open. Some reports that maybe Brian Harson is uh, interested in some of the jobs back in the Northwest. I mean, what do you make uh, of the openings that we do have? Obviously, we know about LSU, but... Dan Mullen out. How attractive is that gig? Yeah, I mean, it's very attractive. I mean, it's it's interesting kind of contrasting it to where we were last offseason where, you know, Vanderbilt opens up and South Carolina opens up and then old Auburn you know, opens up at Tennessee. And those are two really good programs. But, man, I, Florida and LSU, I just I put a, a step above both the, you know those programs in Auburn and Tennessee. I think these are two premier jobs. I think they're both you know, top 10 level jobs and, you know, should attract a lot of names. Um, you know, I just find it interesting nowadays when we get into these coaching searches, so many people just want to shut things out. Oh, I'm not interested in that job. Why would I be interested in that job? And it's just so funny how everyone goes into denial mode where, you know, it used to be people would be like, oh, yeah, that's a great job. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, it's like it's just everybody's ready to shut down, shut down, shut down. And, um, you know, it's, it's almost like, well, who do we have left if everybody's saying they don't want this job? One coach that we've heard, at least rumored, who knows how real it is, but online with LSU and Florida, Lane Kiffin. Do you think there's a chance Lane Kiffin would leave Ole Miss for another job in the SEC? I think Lane Kiffin is going to be in play no matter where he is, and that's what almost makes him scary if, if, you're, a, uh, if you're a fan of the uh, – 
you know, if you're a fan of a school like Florida or LSU, it would be a great win to get a coach like Lane Kiffin, but it would be scary as hell every single year because his name would pop up for every other opening that pops up. I mean, he is a nomad. He is a guy who doesn't stay anywhere very long. I mean, even when he was at FAU, the rumors were always, you know, when is he going to jump? When is he going to make the jump to the next to the next big thing? And now that he's old, at Ole Miss and he's done a heck of a job, if they win the egg goal on Thanksgiving night, it's going to be a 10-win season. Uh, you know, he could certainly parlay that into a, a better program. I think what Lane has to ask himself personally is, can I win at a program like Ole Miss? Is there ever going to be a year where I can bust through, win the SEC West, win the SEC, and get to a playoff game? Uh, you know, if he honestly feels that way, then sure. But there's no, there's no doubt the advantages he would have at a Florida or at LSU. Better advantages recruiting, better advantages just, just overall a chance to actually compete for a title, whereas I don't know if he's ever going to have that chance at all this. You think about what's going on right now with Florida, with LSU, and you're thinking to yourself, what, what exactly, what type of coach are they hiring? When you think about Coach O, I mean, he won a national championship. His teams might be better, uh, you know, uh, than the previous two national championship teams. You know, uh, and then you look at a, you look at a Florida and a guy like Dan Muller who took Florida out of the dark ages, got him back, you know, uh, being talked about nationally. But you look at this season, so are they – well, are they, do they want coaches to get them back in the national conversation and win consistently, or is it about getting back to the national championships or bust? Yeah, I, think, I mean, obviously Florida wants to compete for titles, but I think what you saw there was he did not embrace the recruiting like a lot of people thought he was going to. At Mississippi State, man, he, he peaked with the Dak Prescott year, and you know, they, they were undefeated, you know, number one in the country. I mean, they were right up there. And – when he got to Florida, he brought all that hype and familiarity, obviously having coached there before and all that, but he didn't bring the excitement of recruiting. It's not to say he recruited bad. I mean, he brought in some good classes, brought in some good recruits, but he just didn't recruit at that top five you know, level that a lot of people were hoping he was going to be able to do at Florida, and obviously his team suffered from that. And, and you know, he was missing talent in some positions where and when you compared it to the LSUs and the Alabamas and – you know, there were just teams that were better than them at times. So I think what Auburn or what Florida is looking for is, first and foremost, somebody who can recruit well, but two, somebody who's going to bring an exciting brand of football. And, yeah, look, when you talk about, I was just looking at the numbers today, you're talking about these two programs, LSU and Florida, have won five of the last 18 national championships. And it's crazy to think that because it feels like Alabama has dominated, and they certainly have. They won almost the rest of them. But, you know, these are two premier programs and obviously Florida's you know two titles were, were over a decade ago but still like in the last 20 years these are two big time jobs that are as relevant as it gets so yeah I think I think Florida fans were just kind of starting to get fed up and obviously what we saw this year him standing by Todd Grantham I, I thought that was going to be you know one of his undoings and it was but man I just didn't see him losing like he did and putting the final nail in his coffin. We're talking with Chris Gordy, Locked on SEC uh, podcast. And, Chris, we look ahead to the SEC championship. We know we knew Georgia was going to be there. Now Alabama locks themselves in. Uh, what do you expect? I know a lot of people said before the season this might be the year to get Alabama if you're going to. And, and so far they've only lost once. They're still going to the SEC championship game. What do we expect two weeks out when Georgia and Alabama clash together there in Atlanta? Yeah, it's uh, no, no doubt Alabama's offense has really, um, you know, has really been good this year. I, I think it's a little bit, it's been almost a little bit underrated because I think so many people have talked about defense and how susceptible they've been. I mean, look, the, 
the, the crazy part was, to me, the storyline against Arkansas over the weekend was, my gosh, they let, they let Arkansas hang around, and you know, Arkansas with the fake punt scores a touchdown, and they're right there, and they lose by seven. But everybody's headlines after the game was, oh, look at, look at Bryce Young, Heisman conversation, all this. I'm going, guys, we're not talking about the big problems with Alabama, and, and look, what, look what they did against LSU. You know, LSU was right there with a chance to upset them. So this is not the dominant Alabama team that we've come to know them from in, in recent years. There's this, you know, they have games where they, the offense hasn't been good. They've had uh, a lot of games where the defense hasn't been good. They have not seen a defensive front like this Georgia defensive front yet this year. Uh, the offensive line has had time. Outside of Evan Neal, they've, they've, they've had times where they're not good with pass protection. Now Bryce Young has done a good job of delivering you know, accurate passes under pressure downfield. But can he do that consistently? And I just, you know, and I saw the last week the early spread was Georgia minus three. I'm going minus three. Like, give me Georgia minus ten. I just feel like Georgia should win this thing going away because the defense is so dominant. They're going to get after it up front. And then offensively, man, it's time to start giving Stetson Bennett his roses. Stop calling this guy a game manager. Stop calling him a – you know, a guy who's just going to manage the game. No, this guy is a playmaker. He's shown it with his legs at times. He's shown it with his arms. He's one of the most accurate passers in college football. And let's be real, JT Daniels finally got healthy. And guess what? That's a better, it was better than JT Daniels. That's why Daniels isn't back starting. So I think Georgia's got the full package. It just starts to feel like they're a team of destiny. The only thing that can cost Georgia in this game is Kirby Smart making dumb decisions like we've seen him do in the past punts and things like that. If he's, you know, if he defers to his, his great coaches, his assistant coaches, I think George is going to have a good chance to win and win big over Alabama. Chris, I did want to ask you this about the SEC championship game, though, is, is around the country we've seen playoff contenders lose. Uh, is there a chance if Alabama beats Auburn and maybe loses on a last-second field goal to Georgia, number one Georgia in the SEC title game, Given the perception around the program, given that you know, they're number two right now, is there a chance Alabama could still sneak in as number four? There's absolutely a chance, but it's stupid. I mean, I, I, I call it, it's, you know, the playoff has become the Nick Saban Invitational. It's just he gets an invite every year, even when his teams aren't great. And, uh, you know, my big thing, and I'm an SEC guy through and through, guys, but, like, at the end of the day, why are we playing the games? Resumes have to matter. And right now – particularly coming off this past weekend, Ohio State put up a dominant win at home over a really good Michigan State team, blew the doors off them. Bama struggled and hung on to beat Auburn or Arkansas by seven. These are two not, these are not equal wins. Like, if the playoff committee is true to themselves and reacting to what they see week to week, Ohio State should be the number two team this week. Alabama should drop down. They have not looked consistently like the second you know, the second best team in the country week in and week out and with their resume. Again, Alabama's always going to have the talent. Don't get me wrong. They're always going to be loaded with five-star talent because Saban put together number one recruiting classes every single year. But I just feel like this is a year that we have to look at it and say Alabama lost to Texas A&M. You have to be knocked for that. You can't just say, oh, well, you know, they lost on the last second field goal. No, it was a loss. And if they lose to Georgia, it's their second loss, and they have no business being in the playoffs. Even if it's even if it's closed, even if it's a last-second field goal, Alabama should not be in. However, the playoff committee just has this Alabama bias. I don't know if Saban is their vacation with Saban in the summer home or whatever, but I think the committee is absolutely going to consider Alabama if that scenario happens. 
And Chris, that being said, though, if Alabama does lose to a last-second field goal and they still find their way into the college football playoff, do you see it staying at four, or do you see Alabama being the reason why this thing finally does, you know, get expanded? Well, here's the here's the problem. If you keep Alabama at four and they get in, you're not going to want them with a rematch with Georgia again that quickly. So in that scenario, you either have to find a way to reason yourself to put Alabama up to three, or you'd have to find a reason to let, – let's say it's an ugly game. Let's say Georgia beats Alabama 16-13. to 13. Well, then I think there's argument there to knock Georgia down from one to two because you said, well, Georgia, you played a terrible, ugly game in your, SE, you know, in your title game, whereas we expect maybe Ohio State playing a Big Ten title game. Let's say they win 56-10. to 10. You know, In that scenario, I would say Ohio State could jump them. So I think the committee's got to take all that into consideration because if you're going to put Bama in – we can't get an Alabama-Georgia rematch again in the very first round. It just it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I don't want to see something we just saw uh, and saw how it goes. And uh, Chris Gordy, Locked on SEC uh, podcast, joining us here. And, and Chris, how do you look at the uh, the strength of the SEC here before we, uh, before we let you go? Obviously, you look at Georgia's dominating in, in the East. We've seen some great stories with South Carolina uh, getting bowl eligible. I think everybody in the East, though, uh, a lot of losses outside of Georgia. The West is still Alabama. Auburn has now got, what, four or five losses? Uh, how, how do you kind of look at the strength of the SEC right now? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's really strong. I mean, you got Kentucky with an opportunity to go be at Louisville this week and get the nine wins. If they win their bowl game, they're double-digit victories this year. you got Tennessee, who everybody expected to be bad. They punched their ticket already to a bowl game. That's They're ahead of schedule. Mizzou looked like one of the worst teams in the conference three weeks ago. They punched their ticket to a bowl game with some big wins. Shane Beamer, I don't think anybody had getting the six wins this year. You know, people thought, okay, it's going to be a nice year, maybe five wins. He'll eventually get this thing in recruiting. No, I mean, he's had some nice wins already in year one for Shane Beamer, so that's a great story. Uh, you know, on the other side, obviously Lane Kiffin, I talked about he'll get an opportunity. If he wins the Egg Bowl, he'll get the 10 wins. Mike Leach, I had him on the hot seat this year. I thought he'd be fired by the end of the year, and he's at 7-4. and four. He's, he's exceeded expectations. Jimbo had the nice rally after losing the two games with bad quarterback play. That Calzada settles in. They beat Alabama. And then Auburn, I mean, look, they got the six wins, but no, no point in, in, you know, prettying it up. Brian Harson's been disappointing these last couple weeks uh, with some of his coaching decisions and the collapse against Mississippi State. And then, of course, Sam Pittman's done a phenomenal job at Arkansas weather in the storm. We knew they, they were playing the toughest schedule in the, um, in the country, and they're at 7-4 with an opportunity to beat Mizzou and go 8-4. So I think you, you really like where the SEC is at. And, man, it just it becomes scary because – what if LSU and Florida both hit home run hires for their head coaches? Man, somebody's got to lose, right? Like, somebody's got to be bad. You know, we know Vandy's bad, and Clark Lee's facing an impossible challenge there. But, man, it just becomes, down the road, one of these good coaches that we really like is going to lose his job in two years because you're playing the SEC, and it's tough. Chris Gordy, Locked on SEC Podcast, our guest here on 3 and Out. Chris, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Anytime, guys. And uh, I think Ben should throw his name into the hat for the Georgia, uh, for the Florida head coaching job. I, he'd get my vote. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate it, Chris Gordy, joining us here. Ben, you, are you going to de- denounce interest in that right now here on the show? Wait, wait, no, hold on. What, I want to make sure. What, what did Chris say again? I want to make sure I heard him correctly. He said he wants you to put – because Ben going to put his name in. 
for the Florida coaching job, he said you would have his vote. Listen, listen, I'll take the money. I don't want the responsibility. I will take the contract, and I and I want to see what my buyout is. I want to make sure if I quit, Kevin, right, I'll be the first go. Listen, I'm gonna do the Josh McDaniels. I'm gonna take the job, go there, don't take the job, and come right back to ESPN Coastal and make sure my buyout is legit. I can't, I can't, I can't I, listen. I'm losing my hair already, man. I'm trying to keep the limit I got. I'm not going to Florida. I love it. I love it too much, and I want to stay in the good graces of this fan base. Ben would be the first coach in college football history not to watch the game. Uh, absolutely. We coach them Monday through Friday. Saturday comes, somebody else runs out there, Ben's in the locker room. It's like, well, from what I heard, it looked like they did pretty well. I have today. a press conference, and, it will be, and, and they'll send out my representative saying, uh, Ben has decided not to move on, uh, to move on from this. Uh, <laughs> I, I, BJ, I'm not dealing with that, man. Pressure is a real thing, man. And, and I, Championship games coming up in two weeks. And, of course, the uh, playoff committee's got their work uh, cut out for them, as well as the coaching carousel is just in full spin. Joining us here to talk about it from uh, 247 Sports, CBS Sports, and host of The Late Kick with Josh Pate. Josh Pate joins us here on 3 and Out. Josh, welcome to the show. How are you? I am good. I am employed, unlike most of college football coaches right now. So I guess I can't complain about anything. Uh, that's hey, that's a hundred percent true. Dan Mullen is out uh, at Florida. We talked about uh, that here throughout the show. How attractive is that job? And certainly, when you look at LSU, is open. Southern Cal is open. Rumors about maybe Brian Harson wandering eyes up to the uh, the Northwest. I mean, you could have a number of big time gigs, but there's already three kind of primo college football jobs open are there enough kind of big time coaches to fill those well if by big time you define it as the guy who's going to be a splash hire the moment he's announced no there certainly are not those grand slam candidates out there however you know we've seen in the past i go back to ohio state for example when urban meyer steps down there and you think to yourself wow this is going to be a big time national search and all the available names are going to be in the mix, and then all of a sudden they hire Ryan Day and never even had to leave the building to find the guy. And I remember what the take was. The take was nationally, wow, they could have had anyone they wanted. Why did they go with Ryan Day? But internally, the folks in Columbus were supremely confident in saying, why would we have left here? We knew we had the guy. Just because you've never heard of him doesn't mean he's not the right guy. And I say that to say, I wonder what the critical factors are. Because you define those before you start a search. You don't do it in reverse order, uh, like some programs have done in the past. You define the characteristics you want in your ideal candidate. LSU's got to do it. Florida's got to do it. And sometimes maybe the guys who fit those criteria the best happen to be the hottest names. Or it may be that there's a guy who's on your radar, a little bit off your radar, you've never heard of before that fits it. I just wonder if that's where we'll end up with this. I'll say for any opening right now, I love Dave Aranda. I mean, I'm really enamored with Dave Aranda. There's a thought out there that, well, I don't know if he's a great recruiter. And more or less, that's something someone just said one day that no one's really validated because you've never really seen a big enough sample size. So that's just one example of the things that have to be parsed through. I think Billy Napier would be a really good fit here. But I'm very interested to see if the Florida powers that be believe in that mantra that some people do believe in down there and that is it's not just that we go get a winner there's a style that we want to play with there's a way that we want to win and it looks a lot more like steve spurrier than let's say jim McElwain in the past is there a chance josh that florida and lsu say could get into a bidding war over the same candidate or two i mean could you see a situation like that in the sec uh yeah i think there is 
Uh, and it's obviously not helped by the fact that the same guy represents a lot of these candidates. And where, what gets really interesting, you know, with the LSU side of things, is I've talked to some people that have firsthand knowledge of that search, and they'll tell you they are exclusively betting Jimmy Sexton clients. Now, that may or may not make sense to you when you get into the world of how this whole coaching search thing works a little bit. It makes a little more sense. I don't know if that's the best thing for the game overall, uh, but it could be. It could, yes, it could very well come down to that. I'll tell you, the thing about Napier at Louisiana that's really interesting to watch is I think he had ECU if he really wanted it. I think that's going to go to Sonny Dykes, but I think Napier could have had that job. But when you start realizing – as he did, and his representation did, that this Florida job may come open. He, he tried to slow play that thing as best he could, and it's now open. I mean, Billy Napier would take that job if offered in a heartbeat, and I think there is some mutual interest there. Conversely, on the LSU side of things, there are some people who are really taking a hard line against that, I think more for optics' sake than anything else. They just don't want to have to say, we went to Louisiana Lafayette to get our new head coach. In reality, that shouldn't matter. A winner is a winner. The right guy is the right guy. So that's where things get a little muddy on that whole question. Josh, I mean, I saw, I saw what you said about Scott Strickland. And, you know, obviously with Florida throwing their hat in the ring, it makes everything different, even if you are LSU, even if you are Virginia Tech, even if you are USC. But how how much of a perception hire is it as well? You want to go out there and get the guy, but you can't just get it because you got to try to, you know, satisfy the fans as well as satisfy the public public perception. How does one do both without sacrificing the program at large? Well, what I would have done is before I made a move on Mullen, I would have met, not with every fan, you can't do that, but I would have met with everyone whose endorsement I need on this, my higher-level boosters, my board of trustees, members, etc. And I would have said, I'm going to make a move on Mullen, but I'm only making it if you guys agree with the way we go about the subsequent search. Here is the way I want to do it. Here are the parameters. Here are my guidelines. Here are the focal points, characteristics, critical factors, however you want to phrase it. Do you agree that this is the way we will go about this? If they say no, then I'm probably not making the move on Dan Mullen. If they sign off on it, then I am no longer worried about appeasing people because I got their endorsement. And so now I'm going to run my coaching search, and if I find the guy who fits the most of those parameters, I don't really care if he's going to win me a press conference. I care that he wins games. And so, you know, I remember when Dabo Swinney took that Clemson job. No one remembers that press conference. It wasn't very memorable. They remember him winning multiple championships, and that's, that's where my head would be. I'm not looking to, you know, win headlines. I'm looking to win games. Josh Pate, host of The Late Kick with Josh Pate, joining us here on 3 and Out. And, Josh, obviously coaching rumors out there. You have uh, certainly – Brian Harson, could he go back to the the Northwest? You look at Shane Beamer at South Carolina. A lot of rumors there uh, with Virginia Tech. Could we actually see coaches leave the SEC for other jobs? That's usually not the way it works. I'd be very very surprised if Shane Beamer moved. So I'll I'll put that one out there. That would stun me. Harson would not stun me. It would still surprise me if he were to leave Auburn after one year. Now, I'll say this. I think there is interest there. Maybe there's mutual interest. I certainly think there's at least a passing interest in Brian Harson's side of the equation on being drawn back to the Pacific Northwest, the West Coast, etc. I don't even think that he is fully steadfast.
steadfast in the concept of leaving Auburn after one year. Uh, that could always change, obviously. But, you know, we're sitting here talking right now on this Monday, the 22nd of November. I would be mildly surprised if that one were to happen. I'd be stunned if Beamer moved. I'd be still mildly surprised if Harson voluntarily moved on. Josh, looking at the uh, college football playoff, we've seen contenders lose. Is it lining up to where Cincinnati, they're, they're just going to have to be in whether the committee likes it or not? Are we seeing a situation where that could arise? I think the perception of the committee not wanting a G5 team in has always been a little overblown, uh, only because I can speak firsthand. I don't have a hardline anti-G5 stance myself. But yet I've also never thought that a G5 team belonged in. So some would look at me and say, you're anti-G5. No, it's that I've got criteria. They've defined their criteria, and I don't think a G5 team to this point has met it. Now, we may be looking at the first ever G5 team to do that. I think the toughest Cincinnati do, other than winning the rest of their games, they got two of them left, is going to be if you got a 12-1 and Oklahoma State, big 12 champ Oklahoma State, how do they compare? If it were to come down to an either-or, and there's not room for both, how do they compare those two resumes? And then also the other fun one is Alabama at two losses. If that second loss is a really razor-thin margin against Georgia, you know there's a, there's a train of thought out there. And people aren't wrong when they say this, technically. They would say, well, if Georgia's number one and Bama's number two and number three, they barely lose to number one. Doesn't that validate that they're number two or number three? So that's one train of thought. The other train of thought is, yeah, but it's a resume contest. It's a merit contest. You lost two games. You don't get in. You didn't win your conference, et cetera. I don't know where I'll fall on that yet. I've got to see the games play out, to be honest, before even knowing where I personally would fall on that. The wrong way. I mean, I understand that four kind of makes you. You look at this year and how Georgia is the clear cut number one, and then it, it gets a little murky with with two, three, four, and definitely five. Do you think if they go to a a six, eight, or maybe even twelve team expansion, we're gonna be getting teams that maybe that maybe are very mediocre, but still get a chance to play for it all? Well, I'll put it to you like this: Watch Oregon get pasted by Utah the other night, just like I did. In a 12-team format, that Oregon team's probably still in the mix for a playoff spot. I want nothing to do with that. I have no interest whatsoever in watching a format where I'm going up to Ann Arbor, Michigan Saturday to watch this Ohio State-Michigan game. I have no interest in going up there to watch those two play for seeding. That is a game where we know going in the loser is out of this thing. That's why it's so consequential. That's why you and I and everyone else are going to make sure to watch the game because there's no safety net under the game. You can't afford all this late in the year. I don't think there's ever a perfect formula like you asked, but I also feel like this. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. I don't think it's the end of the world if someone's mad at the end of a season. like We got this tendency where if anyone's mad or complaining, you automatically think something has to be fixed. I've never felt that way. If you're mad, there's probably something your team could have done that they failed to do to secure a spot. And so just do better next year. It's not the worst thing in the world. Josh, that being said, uh, do you expect, given what you kind of talked about, your criteria, what the, the, the playoff committee has shown, that this week we're talking about a top four matchup with Ohio State and Michigan? Yes, I do. I actually do think Michigan, by a pretty slim margin, is going to be boosted up to that number four spot. Um one of the sentences I cannot stand in this whole process is it'll work itself out, but I'm going to say it. 
it will work itself out. So it doesn't really matter for Cincinnati because obviously those two are going to play each other this weekend. I mean, think about this, though. This is what really angers people. If you go 50,000 feet, you look at number whatever, four and number three, Ohio State-Michigan. Like, they're about to play each other and knock one of them out. Uh, number two and number one, or number three and number one, depending on how it shakes out, Alabama-Georgia, they're going to have to play each other. The 50,000-foot argument is folks look at Cincinnati and say, the only difference is they don't have to be put in that kind of position. Because if they were, we think they'd lose too. And I've always understood that argument. So, so to go back two questions ago, I guess there's no perfect way, but I like this way as opposed to the other models people present me. And, Josh, finally, I know you said you're going, you're going to be watching that, uh, that Michigan-Ohio State game. Who's your Heisman frontrunner right now, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young? I got to see C.J. Stroud up close and in person this past Saturday. I've seen Bryce play a few times in person. Man, I, I think whatever's going to decide that thing is still to come. So right now, I mean, I would very slightly lean C.J. Stroud. I would not argue with you at all if you told me it should be Bryce Young instead. I would love to see Will Anderson for Alabama having a dominant performance down the stretch somewhere. But um, I think with Stroud going to Michigan Saturday and potentially a Big Ten title game, with the fact that no Bryce Young has still got to play the University of Georgia, that's going to be a show. So I think whatever's going to decide it is still in the windshield instead of the rearview mirror. Josh Pace, host of The Late Kick with Josh Pate. Uh, joining us here on 3 and Out, and you also catch Josh 247 Sports and CBS Sports. Josh Pate, our guest here on 3 and Out. Josh, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Appreciate it, guys. Josh Pate, our guest here on 3 and Out. If you look at all things college football, a lot of coaching things happening, a lot of certainly coaching vacancies out there. Dan Mullen out at Florida, so Florida becomes the latest uh, opening there in college football, and you're hearing everybody from Lane Kiffin to – Billy Napier, Mario Cristobal, and uh, BJ and Ben, we talked about this uh, earlier today, where what does Florida have going for it? Well, obviously they have to pay Dan Mullen $6 million in the next 30 days, and they're going to pay him a million dollars for the next a year for the next six years. They're not worried about what they're paying the next guy. I think you go to certain situations, yeah, we want to coach, but we're not willing to go past this. I think Florida can simply look at it and say, how much is it going to take to get the guy we want? And, and they'll make it happen. And I think that obviously changes the game when you're talking about who the viable coaching options are for, for any given school. Yeah, I don't think, Ben, I don't think Florida's worried at all about costs. I think if uh, they find their guy and that coach says, I want $8.5 million a year, if Florida believes that's their future, I think Florida will, will move forward with that and, and, and not even hesitate. Uh, we're talking about one of the elite jobs in college football. And – I know so much of kind of the, the the college football landscape in terms of perception has been dominated by the teams that have been in the playoff. You think about Alabama, you think about Ohio State, you think about Clemson. Florida is as good of a job as there is in college football. Absolutely, without question. And I think if Florida finds their candidate, with all due respect to LSU, with all due respect to SC, if there's mutual interest, I think, I think Florida's a better job than LSU. Now, they're both elite. I mean, LSU and Florida are both tier one jobs, and I don't know if they have interest in the same candidates, but you can make an argument Florida's the best job in the country. Uh, to me, looking at the reported candidates that have been out there, I think if you could get Lane Kiffin just offensively recruiting, they're in the top ten. Uh, look at what Matt Corral's done. Uh, look at what that 
And I think that would be about as good of a hire as you could have. I think Billy Napier would be a great hire. I've been stunned that his name hasn't been rumored to be in the mix for, for more jobs. I mean, look at what Louisiana's done. And oh, by the way, they're hosting the Sunbelt Conference Championship game for all the talk about Coastal and App. That game's going to be in Lafayette coming up next Saturday. And Louisiana has just one loss. Since that loss to Texas, they've won out. So Napier's done a great job. He's coached under Dabo. He's coached under Saban. So he's, you know, been right there at some of the better programs in college football, the dominant programs in college football. He's a, he's a former player, played quarterback at Furman. I think, I, I think Napier would be a great hire for either Florida or LSU. But, Ben, if you're Florida, you find who you want, you go interview that person, you offer them whatever it takes. This is the University of Florida we're talking about. I think, I think anybody's in the mix, and I think this is one of the top jobs in college football. I think you have to be aggressive. I think about something that Kevin said all the time when you talk about you get recruited by certain schools. Georgia doesn't recruit people. They say, man, you want to come to Georgia. Like, you don't recruit them. I think what happens is with, with Scott Strickland, he got to, you know, he kind of got to kind of take the Jared Binko approach, uh, athletic director at Georgia Southern. Stop acting like you ain't got Florida behind you. Like, sometimes, you know, you talk about doing stuff, people go, hey, man, what's the one thing you have at Florida that most teams don't have? You have leverage. You have money to spend, and you decide who you're giving it to. BJ, you talk about Billy Napier. You know what boosts his resume, make the whole world figure out who he is? Make him become the head coach of Florida. Then you go, oh, okay, I can see what's going on now at Louisiana. Because this is one thing people ain't talk about. If Florida would have played Louisiana this year, Florida would have probably been favored because they're Florida, not because they're a better team than Louisiana right now. So for me, I do think you got, like Lane Kiffin, that's the sexy hire. That's the one that you don't got to, you don't got to introduce him. Billy Napier, Billy Napier is a guy who, like you say, he has ties. Louisiana, obviously he knows how to recruit, you know, throughout the sun, throughout the Sun Belt region. You can't recruit if you can't recruit in the Southeast, you do not deserve to be a head coach. But I go back to something you said, BJ. It is the University of Florida, and you got you bigger than the money because you can offer the money. You got to look at them and say, can you handle it? Because see, that's something that we don't talk about a lot, right? The one thing Dan Mullen just proved that man, it ain't. It's rough when you at a. When you at an elite school, that doesn't mean you are part of a school that's a part of the college football fabric. Florida, Georgia, LSU, Georgia Tech, Miami, college football fabric school. So when you don't get it done there, everybody knows. I mean, so I, listen, I ain't taking nothing away from Virginia Tech or TCU or Washington or Washington State. No one cares. When Washington makes a hire, it's going to be on national news because it has to be, not because nationally people care. And that's taking nothing away, you know, from Washington State or UW and things of that nature. So I do think that it's not about the candidate that you want. It's you got to ask your candidate certain things. Hey, man, we know you want the money. The money's over there. We got that part. Man, can you can you take us to 10 wins, 11 wins? Because the thing about Dan Mother, the people don't get, he went from 9 to 10. You, oh, he's doing it. And then fell off a cliff. I go back to Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer did not. Well, let me whoa, whoa, let me say this correctly. Hold on. Let me. Urban Meyer left because of his health, but he also saw what was coming. Ain't no T-bones walking through that door. So if you could get the guys in there, plus BJ, you know, keep keep keep. Florida's gonna be in the national conversation, good or bad, as you can see. There's nothing you could do about that. But are you here to keep us relevant? Or are you here to take us to the next level? Because the one thing that Kirby Smart has done in Georgia. 
He's taking them to the next level. Now, they still got to finish the deal, but they're in the national conversations of recruiting. You have to get it done. On the field, you have to get it done. You got to win the public perception war, and you got to be able to deal with the media. Like, that's your in-between. That's something that I don't think Dan Muller did a better job at. Listen, losing is when you build friends. When I when we used to lose, I'd be like, hey, uh, Miss Cassidy Hill, uh, Mr. Buddy Martin, Mr. Kevin Thomas, Mr. B.J. Bennett, listen, man, um, could you take it easy on me a little bit, man? Can I talk to you for a second? Because I know you got the right stories, right? I get it. But, you know, I know on SouthernSpeakScene.com, I like what you wrote, man. That was real nice. But could you – that's something that Dan Mullen doesn't, didn't do well. But at the end of the day, I'm not – let me tell you all something. I don't feel sorry for Dan Mullen because in college football, talking about amateurism, you get paid to leave. They're just giving him $6 million in the next 30 or 60 months. Kevin, 30, 60 months. I mean, the, the, the next two months, and he gets a million dollars a year. That's before he even gets another job. That's guaranteed. I'm getting $12 million. Before I even get another job. So I do agree. It's it's not about the best candidate. It's do you got a guy that's here for the long haul? Because people thought that Vanderbilt was only giving people four years. Well, since Eastbury, when the last time Florida gave somebody more than four or five? It's been four or five out the door. Four or five out the door. Now, Urban Mike, you know, he left. And they told Dan, they told Ron Zook to get the hell out of here. Because <laughs> he lost to Mississippi State. But BJ and Kevin, I ask this. It's not that you don't want to coach a Florida. Can you handle it? Because I'm telling you, that heat. It's serious. It's only going to go up. And we're talking about adding Texas and Oklahoma. Man, the, the, the narrative is already there. The expectations are already set in stone. Can you handle both? And if you can, hey, man, you know, sign your name on the dotted line because you already know they're coming for you, me included. I'm coming too. So is my mama. So is Florida Gator, uh, you know, uh, faithful. But if you're the right guy for the job, and like you said, BJ, I think what makes it the premier coaching position you don't have, you don't lack anything. Resources, coaches, you know, you got the best of everything, but now you got to go out there and get them W's. Again, I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see where they go. And again, uh, BJ, you have three kind of really what I would consider marquee coaching jobs. Two in the SEC with Florida and, and, and uh, LSU and Southern Cal. And again, you can say what you want about any of those, but those are three what many people consider destination jobs. Like those set you up for the rest of your coaching life in terms of the contract you get, the prestige you could potentially get, the ability to go out and win and compete for conference and national championships uh, there, and you have three of them open at the same time. Do you have those openings, but you have the early signing period on the horizon? I, in time, put a class together. Yeah, I mean, he's gonna, again, I think where he's going with that is it's going to be very interesting to see where these teams go quickly to get a coach name because you've got, what, about three and a half weeks yeah. until that early signing period is going to have to be uh, uh, underway. You have to have somebody. You can't go in, hey, I'm new here. Oh, you missed out. You didn't sign anybody early? Nope. That's not going to fly at uh, at those uh, at those locations. We've got more to come here. It's three and out. It's Southern Pigskin Radio. Today, again, one more day to wait until the new college football playoff poll comes out. And a lot of talk about how it's going to look. I know uh, BJ will see uh, what what it looks like. But Cincinnati, a lot of folks, I know we just uh, chatted with Josh Pate. He said, look, he didn't think Cincinnati deserved to be in. And I know there's a lot of argument either way uh, on that. But where do you think Cincinnati's going to be after you have Oregon just get eviscerated uh, over the weekend? They'll be fifth. They'll be fifth because, Kevin, like you said, if you move Cincinnati to fourth, it then becomes very difficult to move them back out 
if you need to do that or if you feel like you should do that. I think they'll be fifth. I do. They're going to be fifth, Kevin. You know it and I know it. And the thing about Cincinnati is, I mean, like I said, they are winning everything but the public perception battle, and that is one of the hardest things to – well, the second hardest thing. second hardest thing is the public perception. The first thing, BJ and Kevin, is the benefit of the doubt. They have not earned it because Coastal Carolina, they came and went. UCF, they came and went. Cincinnati didn't come and go, but they're going to make sure they don't come this time because they're going to be like, hey, man, y'all going to be in number five. Congratulations on the great season. We don't think you fit to be one of the last four teams standing yeah, going to be interesting to see where they come out with it. Again, Alabama has been at two, as we said, depending on how you view that. Ohio State was very impressive. Oregon lost. Does Michigan jump up? How far does Oklahoma State jump up with just one loss? And Wisconsin only has one loss uh, at uh, at this point. So very interesting to see what this committee does uh, here coming down the stretch of the season with the rivalry week this week. Conference Championship Games next week. Appreciate uh, Josh Pate, Chris Gordy joining us here. Also, David Waters and Brooks Austin on this Monday. If you missed any portion of the show, ESPNCoastal.com. You can also go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, our YouTube page. Get a podcasted version of the show each and every day if you missed it. We'll see you tomorrow, Tuesday edition of 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.